0: such a familiar backdrop of our day-to-day life that it's easy to forget what they mean. That one, that little dot right there, that's Bremen. This one over here, that's Saul. Think about that. Just a handful of these dots represents the breadth of human expansion. Another handful, and you've got Bannon. Jean, even Vanduul systems. That's everything we've ever known. Every piece of art, every life, ever, right there. In two handfuls of dots. And that means there's so much more to find. Behind every one of those points of light is a story waiting to be discovered. Now in our distant past, it was the promise of governments to explore and understand space. The simple launch took resources and money beyond the capacity of even the largest companies. But then RSI introduced the Zeus. And suddenly regular people were able to explore our solar system, allowing an unprecedented amount of knowledge to be discovered. When Nick Crowshaw discovered the first jump point, the modified scanner array that allowed him to search for jump points were far too expensive for the civilian market. But once that technology was refined and open to the public, what happened? That's right, an era of expansion that led us from this to this. And that's how it's always been. If you look at all the great eras of human history, whenever innovation has put technology in the hands of the people, it has heralded sweeping discoveries. Because power in the hands of many will always exceed the power of few. So while we can now discover new jump points and systems, there's still one hurdle that remains. That's what to do once you discover a new planet. Because right now, only the largest corporations can terraform and establish settlements. Easy. (laughs) We haven't simplified terraforming yet. No, I'm here to announce something equally exciting. Albert Einstein, the man who redefined human understanding of the universe. He once said, the person who follows the crowd will usually go no further than the crowd. The person who walks alone is likely to find himself in places no one has ever seen before and insightful sentiment meant to inspire thinkers and creators to push the boundaries of their understanding. It was, after all, said a thousand years ago, before humanity had left our home world, so clearly he was speaking metaphorically. Today, as I just showed you, the unknown is out there, waiting to be discovered. For those that are looking for those places that no one has seen before, they are faced with a daunting challenge. What do you do when you get there? Up until now, it's been the province of governments and corporations to pave the way for sustained habitation. The power has been in the hands of the few. What if I offered you the ability to build your own settlement? To bring civilization to the most untamed of frontiers. A colony ship in the truest sense of the word. And I'm not talking about just transporting people, no. I'm talking about an all-in-one solution designed to build modular structures based on your needs. Capable of building a farm or a habitat, a trading post or a mining operation. I mean, that'd be crazy, right? Allow me to introduce the Pioneer. Let the new age of colonization begin.
1: And good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome back to the Soul Citizens. I am Griffin Gaming RPG, and we are happy to be back continuing our series on industrial strength. And today we are covering the Pioneer. But before we get to that, let me introduce my awesome co-host that I have with me. First of all, let me start off on the far end there. For me, we have the man himself, Dark Knight 75 What's up,
2: brother? Hey, 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 you're doing all right. Another rainy day here in Chi-Town. But otherwise, enjoying the day in, playing some 315 PTU. Okay. Okay. Yeah, enjoy it.
3: How many people try to steal something from me today?
2: (laughs) Nobody yet. <laughs> Nobody we we'll wait later tonight, <laughs> <Dream> Shereem <Shutdown>. Nobody <laughs> like, yet. Somebody got nah. jack my 400.
1: Listen, listen you know, Dark knight got the north side. I got the west side. And uh, actually, and then uh we got Gigi on the south side. So, you know, we got the city covered when it comes yeah, city down covered. to where we at. Right. That's cool. Well, right? I thought been Gigi was in here. I'm like, Gigi, where you been? No, I ain't seen no, you in nine no, years, man. man. You missed us. Gigi was here last month. You missed her. Yeah, uh, I, don't I don't believe it. I don't believe it because I ain't never seen her. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, was seen (laughs)
1: and uh, the, the other great voice that you hear holding down the middle this week is the man himself, Dig That 32 what's up, Dig? What's up, everybody? My name, Dig Dad
3: 32 <laughs> a.k.a. your girlfriend's boyfriend, a.k.a. Mr. Turn Down Service. I'm sorry to say it like that, but here I am. So what's up? Well, let's talk about this Pioneer thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are going to talk about the Pioneer. In fact, we got a lot to cover. I was sharing with Dark Knight Dig before you got here that this is probably, this show and next month's show are probably the two toughest shows. This week, this month we're doing the Pioneer, but next month we're doing the Endeavor. And both of these ships are the ships that are probably among many of these bigger ships, really elusive. Um, You know, when we did the Orion, at least we had mining and gameplay, right? So, you know, we had something to work with. Um, But now that we're getting the Starfarer, same thing, we had some stuff to work with because they've been talking about fueling. But this thing with the Pioneer, especially post this last CitizenCon, we do have some information that we're gonna be able to share with folks. And while I was doing research, I was kind of amazed that this research went all the way back to 2017. It's been four years since this ship was debuted. And um, I remember, DK, I know you weren't around back then. Dig, were you around when that commercial ran when they did that at CitizenCon? Were you around back then? I wasn't
3: around, but I've seen it several times, okay. and and you know what? No matter how old it is, it's very
1: impressive, man. Yeah, yeah, man. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm surprised Matthew McConaughey ain't came here and got these jokers yet. Uh, standard D, de- standard <laughs> right? yeah, Dave. Thank you for kicking us off with that one month resubscription. He's been faithfully follows. Hey, Grifted, we miss you. Yes, we missed you, Standard. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I, you know, I remember when that commercial ran. Uh. I, I think I was at VerseCon, I was in Austin, and when they ran it, of course it was the whole Matthew McConaughey thing was you know just you know right in your face, right? That was kind of mm-hmm. cool. That's but, who it
2: was. But I, I tried to figure out who. Yeah, but you
1: know what? But I was also amazed. Well, you know they had the it was Matthew McConaughey and impersonating your boy Elon mm-hmm. Musk, right? But <laughs> I was impressed with the speech. I mean, the speech was actually a good speech. It was so dope. Yeah. Oh, it? yeah,
2: yeah, it felt like a real conference <laughs> or something. Like, it yeah. You're like.
1: You're like listening to it. You're like he's
3: definitely channeling Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. But then at the end, you're like he's doing a damn good job, man. Oh, hey, how many Mustangs? Hey, hey, baby, hey, baby, hey, hey, counter expenses up. Can we get like three Mustangs this month?
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and that to be funny to your point, Dig. The only thing that we knew about Consolidated Outland back then was the Mustangs, right? And they mm. were slowly mm. kind of being not dismissed, but you know, all these new ships was coming out, right? And so nobody expected that the thing that Consolidated would be dropping would be this big industrial ship. You know, it really caught everybody right. off guard. Um, yeah. And so I remember the reaction. The reaction was like people were blown away. Vengeful, hey. vengeful, vengeful, hey. vengeful. Shout out, thank Vengeful. Y'all giving us these subs. Thank you oh, so much. Hey. Oh, hey. All right. Whammer says, thank you. Um. But yeah, man, I mean, people freaked out about this thing because. There really hadn't been any big discussion about land, you know, per se. You know what I'm saying? As much mm-hmm. as we talked about space, most of the community, I don't think, had really, really dug into this idea of land. And there was something he said, and Dig, obviously, if you caught it at the very end, because over the last few weeks and even the last couple of years, you know, this thing has been kind of about homesteads, right? Homesteads, building your own mm-hmm. base, blah, 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 blah. But did you catch at the end? He said, building your own home. He said trading post structures, he named a whole bunch of stuff. Vengeful, <laughs> thank you Ooh, again. Thank you, thank you, Salud, thank, you. Thank, you. Salud, my dude. thank you, thank you, thank you. He mentioned several different things and I know people have been focusing on the pioneer for a base building, but we, and we're gonna get into this later because these other structures now, he starts talking about building outposts and stuff, which is a whole nother level. Um, So, you know, I know, the reason why I got Dig on the show is I know Dig is about that paper and entrepreneurship. (laughs) so I know if it's a way to bring in (laughs) some cash, Dig is on it. And Dark Knight has already talked about his idea about living, you know, not just on a ship, Mm -hmm. but living in a location. So that's why I've got these guys on here with me tonight. So here's the deal, because this is a, a, you know, there's a lot of stuff amongst all the Star Citizen information that can get lost over the years. We're gonna go back to the very first panel where this was introduced. That trailer we just showed you—they showed us that trailer—and then they went into a panel that year on CitizenCon about this ship. In fact, the ship was on the cover of the the the, uh, the program, if I'm not mistaken, that year. So we're gonna mm-hmm. hear directly from the, the devs what their intention was for it. Then later on, we're gonna find a, we're gonna see a follow-up that was kind of like on an Inside Star Citizen, where they talk about it more. And then we're going to hear about some more updated stuff that's happened from this last Citizen CitizenCon. So if you got, want to get something to drink, something to munch on uh, these videos, they're not really long because we're not going to show you the whole thing, but we do want you guys to look at it. And then we're going to come back and talk about it. Cause I'm not even sure if DK has seen this, cause this is early. I don't think I have. yeah. Okay. Uh, so we, we're going to jump into that right now. So let's, um, we're going to jump. I think we're going to jump off this screen. Yeah. And we're going to watch it, then we're going to come back. Okay, I think we are. Let's see. When I push the button, I'll find out what we're going to do. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Hopefully, this is it. Sorry. Right.
5: <laughs> quick ship stats. Uh, the new ship matrix went live last Ooh. last night at some point. Um, so we've gone through every ship in the game and updated all their stats to the best that we know of. Um, and we're going to keep that more up to date. It's It's a much simpler process now. Anything you see up there with a dash is because we don't know where it's fully going to be. We'd rather give you the, the numbers when they're not going to change rather than what we have in the past. It's like this, everyone sits on it for three years and goes, why is it not like that anymore? We'll give you it when we, we have some solid numbers. Um, but the numbers we do have there are the ones we do know about. So it's 200 meters long, which is quite big. Um, it's a capital size ship which if you've read all the shipyard posts we've been doing over the last two weeks explains that uh, it's got 600 SEU of cargo which is used for building the bases um, a mini crew of four and a max crew of eight it supports eight living on it so you can just about get by doing four um, so it, it is a, a team effort to do this stuff uh, on the next bit is the uh, the more detailed breakdown and this actually didn't change much from the initial brief that we did things like thrusters always change as we we build the ships out and work out where the best place for them was and the only bit that actually changed was the turrets so we went from having four manned turrets to having two manned turrets and two unmanned turrets and that was as we were going over the shapes Obviously, to get to a man, or to use a man turret, you need to get a man to that turret, uh, which in itself creates restrictions on sizes and shapes. By taking that out of the equation, you can have much more interesting shapes and feel. And the person controlling that turret is just sat somewhere in a nice central location to use it. Um, so yeah, that hopefully you can all see on the website now and look in more detail at it. Well,
6: you going to trust me with the clicker? All right, let's go. <clears throat> so, um, this is uh, the outside of the talk. Uh, this is a, a pretty good question to ask. Uh, obviously, John's explained sort of the initial part of the process. Uh, it's, you know, this, the ships, uh, it's pretty, obviously, it's pretty different to what we've had to deal with before. Um, it's been dealt with generally uh, by one of the concept team in the UK. Uh, And he's done done very well to remain sane uh, throughout this process. Um, So it it has been very challenging, but um, what I'm going to give you now is a sort of high-level process of how we've approached this ship, um, a little bit of sort of behind the scenes, um, and then sort of more of an explanation of uh, where we've arrived, how we've arrived. um, And hopefully you guys will really like it. Um, So this is my favorite new buzzword uh, that I came up with specifically for this um, talk. So I think these three lines basically um, describe how we sort of approach this ship. Um, And especially with this ship, um, uh, we basically, it was kind of different to the other ships in in the past. So basically this one was very clear, you know, it was basically It was utilitarian. It was basically monolithic manufacturing. It's basically you've got a huge brick of a ship, essentially. Um, But obviously that doesn't look cool. So you know we go through various stages to to make this look good. Um, So throughout the whole process and throughout the sort of whole design philosophy of the ship, it's basically an asymmetrical design. So you'll see on the exterior it's asymmetrical. The bridge is asymmetrical it's cantilevered the corridors are asymmetrical and this throws it's it's basically in the DNA of this ship and of, you know John has mentioned previously that obviously we've had the Mustang which is one of our I guess really early ships uh, from Consolidated Outlands and not really a lot of work had been done in terms of the style guide and, and really they're more of a separate division. So this is more of your industrial division. So it's kind of like the Reclaimer, which is like the industrial ages. Um, so right off the bat, you, you know that you're dealing with function over form. It's it's not gonna be like super sexy. It's not gonna be pretty, but it's still gonna have a really good sort of well thought out industrial design feel to it. So, you know, even even as you're walking through this thing, you're still going to appreciate it. Um, and you're, you know, you've got your own essentially flying factory. Um, so this next slide, this basically sort of shows the sort of initial development. So what normally happens is that we always provide Chris with a, a series of options. Um, he always, you know, if we give him one, he's never happy. He wants to see three, four, you know, the more he can, the more he can see, the more options, the better, um, which is great. You know, we're totally used to it. Um, we know how to work fast. You know, that's, you know, you, you don't really, you don't really sort of set your heart on anything, but, you, you know, you keep pushing um, for what you like, ideally. So we provide Chris with all these options of, um, uh, how this ship can look good, but also, you know, not be a flying brick. So basically, there's a lot of transformation. We still have technical issues, well not technical issues, technical requirements that we need to take into account with this, um, but at this stage we hand this off to Chris and he's able to then give us feedback. He's able to pick from A, pick from B, say oh, I like the colour from uh, J, and then Basically, we go on to the next round of feedback. Um, so this is where we start, sort of dialing in. Um, we've, you know, we've taken what Chris likes, um, and again, it's just super loose, super rough. You know, we are dealing with uh, mesh work that we're just sort of crashing together. We're not, you know, we're not being all precious about this stuff. So we're basically just going for an aesthetic with a with a hint of. Uh, the functionality, that's already sort of been sort of factored in with talks with design. Um, and what you'll see here is like in a sort of really, you know, we've got next few slides are very sort of behind the scenes, um, the sort of the stuff that um, that goes on at people's desks and people are drawing on the WACOMs and this shows, you know, you can tell this is an early one because this is uh, actually flipped the other way. Um, but you can see really early on that um, that we dialed in to to what we wanted for this ship. So you've got the bridge. You know, it's very much like the bridge of an oil tanker. You, you're overlooking your ship. It's good visibility. You can see you can see your whole manufacturing process, um, and you know basics turrets um, and how this is going to work. Um, and again, these are really Apologies for the, the sort of small resolution, um, but here you can sort of it gives you an indication of the sort of the block out process in terms of the animation and the manufacturing process. So this this is not a three D printer. It's it is a manufacturing plant. So you're essentially uh, you'll be taking your panels, materials, almost like. Ikea, dare we say?
7: I, I would say more like a car manufacturer or something Right. Like that. So more like
6: Tesla, let's say. Yeah. I, prefer, I prefer Tesla. Um, and it definitely suits more with the sort of um, the video we you've do, you guys have just seen. Um, and so you can see the sort of amount of detail that the concept artist is putting in for the manufacturing plant. And basically, you've got two arms and that's basically where everything gets built. And then in the center, it all gets assembled. There's a little bit of magic that goes on in there. And then basically the crane comes in and takes, takes your pods. So this is a, um, I guess, final concept model. So we're jumping right ahead in the process. Um, and as you can see, this is it starting to articulate. This is once you've landed and found at a suitable landing site. Um, you've got an arm that's articulating out. Um, There is a turret on this arm, and it's also sort of providing an extra sense of perimeter perimeter to your base. Um, The area in blue is essentially the crane, Um, and once everything has been um, assembled, this crane comes in, takes takes the habitation pods um, out of there, moves it to the front of the ship, so that then there's still space for additional pods, and depending on how you've configured it. And then, again, this is kind of just sort of showing you the process of where the cargo is inserted. And uh, it basically, it runs down both arms, ultimately, meets in the middle. Um, and you, you, know, as a player, you'll be able to see a ton of this going on. You'll have all the equipment. You'll have all the, you'll have all the robot arms. It'll be, it'll, you know, as you're playing it or as you're walking around your base, you should really get a good feel of what's going on. Um, swiftly moving on, um, this is just some quick outlines, just sort of uh, outlining the um, top view, basically, of the bridge. Again, asymmetrical feel, cantilever design. Inside there, you have habitation, which we'll see examples of after this. Um, some hefty landing gear, because um, this is quite a large ship. Uh, additional cargo space, as well as um, a landing pad, which is above um, further cargo space. And that landing pad can articulate move out of the way. Staging area, this is where all your robots are. This is where everything is getting sort of built, essentially, from your materials. And then manufacturing. where all the magic happens. Um, Moving on, these are some of the final um, images that basically have been built for the ship. So you can see the the habitation pod there already. Um, And you can see there's walkways in there. So as a player, you'll be able to come out, you know, I guess if you're in a, a nice calm situation, you'll be able to come out and see all your cool equipment. If you're in a combat situation, hopefully you'll have more, you know, a good good advantage or possibly disadvantage for firefights, uh, depending on if you have people taking over your base. Um, and then this is the bridge. Um, and it's it, this is pretty cool. Um, uh, you can see on the sort of far, Left-hand side, there's a little blue monitor. It actually, looks quite small, uh, but that's actually the architect's station. So that's that's the console, basically, where you're designing uh, your configuration, I guess. So you're choosing one pod, two pod, five pods. Um, moving on, um, rather cool engine room. Um, you know, basically, this will be a, a large open space. Again, asymmetrical from the top. Um, you've got some really interesting turbines that should give us some really cool animation opportunities. And it's very, again, very different to anything that we've seen so far in the Star Citizen universe. Um, habitation, obviously you've got space for a couple of big bennies, everybody wants big bennies in their ship, um, uh, and then split level room. So uh, space for chilling out, just watching TV, or just uh, having dinner with your friends. Um, bunk room, again, very utilitarian, very sort of very basic, down to basics. You could, if you look closely, you can see one crew member in in one of the pods, just lying down. Um, and this is just a quick, <laughs> a quick, uh, a quick. A quick slide put together, just to give you an indication of comparative sizes. Again, you've got a little, you've got a little Mustang in there, which will fit on the landing pad. And finishing up, this is a sort of final rendering um, of just showing the ship in its full glory. Uh, and it's still, you know, even though it is utilitarian and sort of um, quite quite big and massive, you know, monolithic. Again, with this sort of graphical branding, it's kind of still giving it, it's, we've broken up the shapes. We've given it um, a really sort of uh, futuristic feel. Um, and I th- I'm, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you. you want it? Yeah. So, uh, I'm now going to hand over to Tony.
8: Okay. Uh, So, before you can actually begin construction of your new outpost, you'll need to first select and purchase a plot of land. Uh, The value of that land, what you're going to have to pay uh, in order to acquire it, depends upon a variety of objective criteria as well as the seller's insight into that information which we collectively refer to as knowledge. One of the things that we track for each section of land that you can potentially purchase is the resources present and the quantity. Uh, another one is the current market value, which will obviously impact the value of land. If the land is, if the land has an abundance of a particular mineral that at that particular point in time is, you know, uh, exceptionally valuable, then that's going to increase, you know, the the current value of that land. But it's a very it's a very dynamic process. Uh, the level of certainty. Uh, that's interesting in that knowledge information within Star Citizen is very often an analog concept. Uh, You don't necessarily know something or not know something, but rather you know things to to varying degrees. And the easiest way that I could give for an example would be to consider a car that you're thinking about purchasing. If if you're being asked to purchase a car and you haven't actually seen it, you're gonna be very conservative in terms of your estimate of what it might be worth. Um, If you're able to see it even from the exterior and verify there's tread on the wheels, uh, the paint job looks okay, et cetera, then that's going to increase your uh, perception of its value. If you're able to actually turn the car on, make sure it's running, or better yet, uh, have a mechanic take a peek under the hood, then that's going to basically bring it even farther up the scale. And so a lot of what we're doing with the value of land, which ties over into the Pioneer, because you're going to be setting up these outposts ideally in optimal locations to exploit a lot of this value that's sitting on the surface of these planets. the next one up would be uh, when the info was last verified, knowing that there is, you know, a vast abundance of gold at a particular area, but the information is stale. It's two weeks old, it's a month old, it's six weeks old. As it, become, as it gets more out of date, it becomes less and less valuable. Um, and so what this means is that players will routinely have to refresh, you know, the knowledge of a particular area in order to maintain the, the uh, perceived land value within the game. Um, The last thing that I'd mention in regards to what constitutes knowledge is the the value of location. Uh, If you've got a field of copper ore and it's in close proximity to a refinery, potentially at, an outpost set up by one of these pioneers, um, then that ore field, the land that, you know, what you'd have to pay to actually purchase that land is going to raise, you know, is going to rise in price. If, on the other hand, there's no refinery, you know, uh, you know, on that on that planet, and you have to basically spend 20 minutes basically carting the ore to another refinery and then getting it to its eventual destination, destination, that's going to lower the, you know, again lower the perceived value of that plot of land. Um, so knowledge within the game is a really fundamental concept, and it. It's, it's, it's able to, knowledge is a concept that once you've acquired it about a certain area or a certain object, you're able to transfer that to other friends, you're able to transfer that to organizations, um, you're able to sell that information, uh, to public information brokers, um, or freely submit it into the public domain.
5: So, yeah, uh, Tony talks about knowledge, uh, what it all means, but... To get that knowledge you've got to go and find that area to to figure out what's there is is it right for you and that's where all the exploration ships come in you you could take your pioneer and do all this with your pioneer but it's probably not going to be the best ship for scouting locations we've got a whole wealth of um, exploration ships that are designed for finding that information out it's like you wouldn't take your oil rig out into the ocean and just randomly dot it down until you found what you wanted, you, they send the scouts out to find, find the, the best location. So the ships you mentioned there, there's just a small range of the, the exploration ships, like the 315P, Terrapin, Carrack, all exploration, all have slightly different pros and strengths. So you've got the single ones, you've got the big crews, um, and they're just there to to help find where you want to send your pioneer to. You might find a, a nice location, but it's if you went there in your pioneer, you're never going to find out where the, the nearest refinery, like Tony talked about, it could, you could build it and you find it's millions of miles away, and that's, that's going to be a waste. So these exploration ships are really sort of key to finding those places.
8: Yeah, and one of the things we're aiming to do is make sure that there's a lot of gameplay uh, associated with these high-level concepts. And by that I mean if you discover, uh, if, you, if you're working your long range uh, scanners, you may find an, a previously unknown body, an asteroid that you know, no one else within the system knows about. And there is a, you know, a level of value related to that. If you work your you know, dials a little bit and you've got you know, the proper equipment and the skills, then without actually having to make the journey, you could increase the potential value of that, you know, of that knowledge find by being able to uh, discern, you know, the mass of the object. A large asteroid is going to be all things, you know, being equal, be worth, than, you know, more than a smaller, uh, than a smaller asteroid. Um, but if you really want to ratchet it up, and this kind of goes back to the degrees of knowledge that I was talking about, if you actually make the journey to it, fly over, burn fuel, burn time, uh, brave whatever dangers are between you and there, uh, and you actually do a fly over the surface, then you may actually just visually see, you know, pools of hydrocarbons of, you know, uh, gas venting from the surface. And again, that raises up what you know about it all the more. If you really want to get specific about what's there and maximize the potential value of that find, though, then you're going to have to set down on the surface and you're actually going to do, you're going to take core samples, you're going to basically have these processed, analyzed, and you're going to do things like uh, seismographic surveys and have, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so all of this plays into a, a common theme that we're trying to execute upon, which is all of these uh, high-level ideas and stuff have a variety of different ways by which the player community can basically attack them and by which these things will feed you know, the outputs of one into the inputs of another.
7: So now that Tony's uh, kind of, you know, high-level idea of what land is and how we value it, I'm going to talk about actually claiming your land. So, um, first and foremost, claims are not tied to the pioneer. You know, a single-person organization can buy them, so on and so forth. Uh, Then we have the concept of UEE space, non-UEE space. If you settle in UEE space, you need to have a claim. If you're brave enough and you don't want to do it, you can venture out to non-UEE space. And then there, you can find some of your shadier things that you want to do um, in the game. So, um, if you do, uh, do plant it in the UEE space, then the idea is that you get the protection from the UEE, you know, in case somebody comes in and attacks you and stuff like that. Uh, it will be transferable between players. Um, like any good government, uh, the UEE will actually take um, a cut of that in a title transfer cost. Um, we're doing is we're doing general licenses. Later on, the UEE will portion out um, licenses. So, when it comes to actually claiming the beacon or claiming your lands, you'll you'll have a beacon um, interaction. So, you set down your beacon. This is where I want to go, um, and either yourself, one of your teammates, or a data runner will take this information to the closest UNE, UEE colony um, office. And basically, that's when it locks in, and now that that land is yours.
8: Yeah, uh, so one of my favorite aspects about just the overall concept of land is actually speculation, and... The basic idea is that uh, assume that you've purchased land and you've gone out and you, you either bought it with foreknowledge that it you know it likely contained you know, these minerals you know, et cetera, or you discovered that yourself. And so now you're holding onto this land and the decision you'll face is, well, do I basically extract that value right now? If whatever that land contains is currently in a bear market, it's not worth very much. Then you may elect to basically wait to harvest what you know whatever it holds until those particular commodities have price. And it sounds simple, but there's a lot of ripple effects to where we get really interesting uh, knock-on gameplay effects. And by this I mean, when you own land. That doesn't prevent someone else from necessarily going there and extracting those resources. Now, obviously, uh, if you're doing this within UEE space and you basically sit down and you're extracting resources from someone else's property, then that's a criminal offense and basically the game's security system will deal with them as appropriate. Um, But, of course, the police aren't patrolling you know every square inch of every planet every asteroid every moon you know every minute of the day and so you holding on to that property waiting for you know a a better payday in the future has real implications in terms of well in addition to relying upon the you know the the system security do you want to put your own sensors there so that you're alerted when someone else does something that you don't like on that area of land so if somebody starts mining you'll basically be notified and then you and Potentially, your org mates can head out there and basically push them off. Um, you may hire mercenaries to basically periodically patrol your land with a higher level of frequency than what the normal you know the, the normal UE security forces would do. Basically, the equivalent of hiring your own uh, personal security to you know to keep watch you know of your valuables. Um, and I'm really just touching the surface here. I mean, another thing is this. It makes the point that you don't necessarily have to do the full end-to-end cycle in order to take advantage of this. You could, for example, buy land or discover land and then just flip the land after you've verified that it's got this as opposed to you necessarily exploiting, mining, pulling up all of that material, which, which is a very particular type of gameplay that some people will love, but other, for other people, the discovery aspect or the security aspect or on and on. If you have an interest in only one section of you know of these areas, then you can still contribute to the overall equa- you know to the overall equation. If you want to basically uh, handle everything yourself, you can also you, know, you can also do that. Okay.
7: So uh, solely towards the pioneer, um, and what I'm going to talk about is preparation. So before. First thing that you're going to do is you're going to need to do uh, collect ma- materials and add-ons from different stores. So, you'll get materials from TDDs or refineries, and you'll be able to pick up some of the add-ons like Tony was talking about, remote sensors or um, or extractors, solar panels, moisture extractors, geothermal pumps, uh, landing pads, turrets, that kind of stuff. Um, now, what is very important to understand is if any of you have ever done home projects, know what you're building um, so that you don't do five trips to Hornbach um, to build something. Um, so, If you know what you're building and then you know the resources that you, you'll save yourself tri- multiple trips um, or it will be one of those things where you will need to have these resources brought to you. So. What do you want from your outpost? Um, what's your gameplay intent? You know, do you want to be a moisture farmer and, you know, live and respawn there and, and basically look out over um, this beautiful beach or do you want it to be like a revenue generator? So basically you'll kind of, you'll swoop in, you'll watch over it, you'll check in, make sure everything's running smoothly, move on to your next thing. So. With this, we've got investment, not only from a resource and basically game money standpoint, and time to build, Um, not as fast as Paul's videos. Uh, So, the other thing is, depending on the size of it, that will increase the build time, the higher you go. Now, once it's actually placed, you're gonna wanna upkeep it, um, depending on if if you put something in Earth's atmosphere versus the um, Mars's atmosphere versus Venus well those are all different climates and so the wear and tear and just kind of the usual stuff that we're doing with the ships and uh, as far as stuff breaking down so on and so forth this will be the same so configuring now the idea would be that you' uh, you're working the architect station you're choosing the exterior layout of it and then from there you'll move into the interior rooms. Um, So, some of the different interior options, habitation, armory, storage, med station, mining, refining, hydroponics. Um, And so, with this, uh, depending on what you're doing, each one of them is going to require a different amount of power, and then that starts going into some of the add-ons. So, if you're mining or if you're doing something that's very, very uh, power-intensive, growing things, so on and so forth, then you're going to need to run extra power in there. Um, And with the add-ons, just like with our ships, if you think of our ships as the base hull, and then you have your gimbals, you have your mounts, um, and then you're attaching weapons, you're attaching ordnance, you're attaching utility items, it's the same idea here. It's basically you have your base structure, and then you have these item ports, um, like Chris always talks about, that will feed into um, the ore extractors, and that's how we generate the power. So here are just some of the internal shots. I think you guys have seen some of these already. Um, I like the salad spinner, um, hydroponics, uh, different mining ideas, uh, storage. So one of the important things is is basically if you're growing um, plants, or if you're you're basically dealing with any sort of bare form resources that will feed into uh, our our ecological uh, system then what you want to do is you want to make sure that you're actually storing these items and and so that you're you're not just mining once and then basically having to shut down because you don't have any more space um, drug lab so uh, in, in case you want to uh, do a little Breaking Bad, um, then idea about research and this would be uh, maybe you're close to the sun or something like that and you want to research some solar flares or those types of things, um, med station. So, uh, the main thing for us has always been a sandbox and making sure that you have the freedom to focus on the gameplay that you find interesting. Um, And so, what we wanted to talk about was just some of the ecosystems that we feel these things help support and help build. Um, You've got the haulers and traders that would be dealing with things that would come in, and uh, if you're mining or if you're you're growing plants, well, these are going to take these to manufacturing or processing centers. Uh, Tony mentioned the security and the needing to actually protect your things. Because I can guarantee you, if you're making money, people are going to want to take it from you. Uh, Exploration, John mentioned this about going and finding these plots of land and everything like that. Then there's repair, obviously mining, farming, and the refining stuff. So that is our panel.
5: Okay.
1: Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Um, I saw some pretty interesting comments in the chat. I'm I'm sure my co-hosts were kind of following along too. Um, And again, for those of you who came in late, welcome. Appreciate you guys being here. We are talking about industrial strength, the pioneer, and we're starting with the very first time we heard anything about the pioneer. So I know there were some comments there about some things have changed and that we know that but we wanted there are a lot of people who never saw the introduction of the ship. We started out with the, the trailer at the beginning, and then we started out with the very first time we heard some details in relation to the ship. And immediately following the Citizen Con, there was an even more in-depth conversation, which is shorter. That was actually the longest video that we look at. Um Dark Knight, let me start with you. What were your first impressions from that video when when you saw it?
2: Yeah, so that was the first time I've ever seen that one. Mm -hmm. So that was actually kind of fascinating to see what they were talking about then and what we know now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I thought it was really cool that we saw like they were concepting the idea of what we're going to be talking about later with Raster. Mm -hmm. I don't think they quite had it yet they were thinking about it. Their idea was there. Um, and it was kind of cool to see that the old buildings that they were using were the ones that we saw from the prefabs that we have currently right now. And mm-hmm. that was the concentration at that time, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, so it's neat to see where they went or what we know now from what we've been seeing from ISC and everything. And thank you, Ryan. Sean. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks for the
1: Thank you. Thank you
2: um but yeah it was really cool to see uh the evolution from that talk uh to say uh recent talks about the homesteads that we had Mm -hmm. on at Sitcon. yeah so i I made a lot of notes so we'll get into it okay
1: yeah dave (laughs) what about you had you seen that one too or or were you up on that was that fresh for you as well it was fresh for me as well and uh it
3: was wild because uh i was like uh I was like, oh, and then when I say oh, I was like, oh, this looks just like the damn liberator. It looks like a liberator except for <laughs> except for townhomes. I was like, dude, man, how much rent is it? To, hey, hey, man, can I get some like spare bucks, or right click? <laughs> oh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's not what I thought it was, which mm. is is good, mm. but um. It it also disappoints me a little because I always wanted. I'm a big Fallout Four fan, and mm-hmm. I want to build my own towns, mm-hmm. and I don't want like this a uh, little uh this little snatching press town. Mm-hmm. But I I get it. I get it. I yeah. love it.
1: Well, you know what? But we're going to talk it. about that because I think that it, it is more than that. I don't think you have reason to be disappointed. Um, <clears throat> there were some interesting things that I saw came up in chat. <clears throat> some of the things were whether or not C I G would be able to pull this off. Right? Will it? Will it be the ship that they claimed it to be? And and like everything else in development, we know that there's a little clause down there that says these things are subject to change. Wow, thank you, MTS Turner. Thank you for the 100 bits. We appreciate that. Thank oh, you. Oh, I'm glad you said it because I was like, what, what is what that? that huh? I can't hear that. What is that?
4: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the 100 bits. We appreciate that. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of wondering, right? Because it is ambitious, right? I mean, this is not something mm-hmm. you see in a lot of games and it seems like it's ambitious. I believe CIG will make it happen. Now you guys say, okay, you're being, you know, a little bit, too, but here's the deal. This thing was sold on doing certain things. You know, and there's some things that they can retrieve back. Papadopoulos, thank you so much for that subscription. We appreciate you. Hey, thanks for the subscription. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but, but there are some basic things. And I think even in that opening piece, when we did the whole Matthew McConaughey thing, they talked about this ship, not just being about bases, not just about mm-hmm. homesteads, but they talked about it being a manufacturing platform for agriculture, for a whole mm-hmm. lot of other things. CC Creator, thank you for that Prime you sub. Too. Thank you, thank hey, you, thank you. for
9: the subscription.
1: And, and so Best this- That's what made me not trust it though, bro. <laughs> That's why. why? <laughs> I like, hey why?
3: man, we got your one, one fix for everything, man. Trust well, us, no, man.
1: They didn't say for everything. They were very specific because they tied it into gameplay and the economy, right? So if you want to be that moisture farmer, you want to be that guy who has a farm, right? You can't do that. You can't. You can't do that in a house, right? I mean, you got to have a house, but you're going to need the facility. Now, they also have talked about that there will be prefabs that you can buy and have See, brought that's in. That's what I don't like. Wait, 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 wait. Some people don't own a pioneer or don't want to go through that, having to get all the raw materials. You got to remember to do a pioneer, even if you want something. And we're going. They're going to talk about this. You have to provide all the raw materials for it. So even if I want to hire you, say, dig, I know you got a pioneer, man. Can you build my house? You can be like, yeah, grip. Just when you show up with all the stuff for it, I'll be there. You know what I'm saying? I got to provide all that stuff for you. Well, for some people, they're not into mining. They're not into doing all that stuff, but they are into maybe doing trading and making cash and they're willing to pay to have it made by you or by some prefab, uncustomizable thing that's just like a little box, but they happy with that. Some of but us want to go digger. What were you thinking? Go ahead, let me hear you.
3: I, I don't want no, no, no uh, prefab. Like I used to work in mortgages mm-hmm. and I don't like them low. Little uh little well, you don't want to bring it down your real estate
1: value of your proud of your house, is that what you're trying to say?
2: <laughs> is that what the
1: deal is? You don't you don't want
2: that? Stamp Prince house thing, <laughs> bring it
4: down my property
1: value. You don't want that, <laughs> you know that prefab, bring it down your bring it down your resort you're gonna build. Right, okay. Right, I hear you. I, I hear you. you. I, I can I could deal with that. Okay. I just want some
3: custom cuz. Okay. Oh, well, I, I don't want a stamped house. I, I got
1: you. And I think that, I think you I think that there's gonna be room for that, but it will be in time. But let's let's go into the the next panel because they go into a little bit more detail, but those are all wow, very, I good Twitter, this dude is very good, good, good points. Wow, so, Mr. Mr. Oh my God. Yeah. Thank you Appreciate so much it. for the five subs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's hey, awesome. Yeah, let's go ahead and look at the next part because this is where they go into it in a little bit more in depth. Um, for me, again, I was blown away when, when this first came out hearing about the Pioneer. Uh, again, every time I listen to this, I hear that it's much more than just building a house, that there's a little bit more that's involved with it. I love the thing that Todd Pappy mentioned earlier. Did you all hear the thing when Todd was talking and when and uh, when Tony Z were talking and they were talking about all the things you will need to go get. They talked about you getting like the solar panels and uh, the electrical things and the power generators and all that other stuff so that you can customize your joint. So it, but can you get a motivator for your droid? Yeah, yeah you can buy motivators too. You have the Jawas, <laughs> where the Jawas stop by and pick it up with their, with their abandoned merchant, right? Get
4: your
2: power, right,
1: your a power converters. Right, your power converters, get your power what converters. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and pick up. We're going to stay on the screen with you guys this time, and we're going to go ahead and pick up with uh This was at the ISC that followed right after the CitizenCon, where they went into detail on this.
9: At CitizenCon 2947, we revealed the Consolidated Outland Pioneer, The groundbreaking capital ship that introduced an entirely new game system to the Star Citizen universe, the ability to own and create surface outposts. To start us off for today, let's check in with some of the team working to bring this brand new capital ship to life.
10: The overarching kind of role of Pioneer is it it creates, it's there to create colonies essentially. Um, It's it's like um, a big flying fortress slash factory with that kind of overarching archetype, we say. It's, it presented quite a few challenges both on, on the art front and the design front.
11: The purpose of the ship is to give players an entirely new gameplay element and to create a very unique experience for the players in terms of where they're going to settle, um, how that's going to affect the job market within the game, how that's going to affect exploration in general, which is now a lot more exciting than, oh let's just fly to a planet and see what's there. Now you actually can do something on those planets, which
10: is amazing. Take loads of inspiration from from real life. You have to, um, as as the old saying goes, like everything in life is a remix. Um, so you, you, you really kind of start with with real world reference because it gives you the most tangible approach to start from. So in the case of the Pioneer, it was it was we were looking. For more, the actual function of it, a lot of kind of car production lines um, and really kind of manufacturing processing lines, where and really kind of getting under the skin of how they work. You know, where where do the the, the products to manufacture arrive? How are they processed? How does that manufacturing take place? Uh, and then you know, at the end result, you've got this this essentially an outpost that's kind of ready to rock. Uh, so yeah, it's quite it's quite interesting and challenging to be honest.
11: Uh, The key features is, of course, uh, basically the the whole outpost part of it. Um, It's not, we didn't design the ship to be a ship per se. We designed it to be a floating factory in space. So um, everything in and around the ship is just geared towards uh, production and, and building outposts and claiming your settlement.
10: My personal favourite thing about the Pioneer was essentially it created 2 subset of challenges. Number one, we've got this big floating factory. We didn't really want to make a pretty ship per se. It needed to feel kind of quite aggressive, weighty and heavy. So hence you've got this kind of slab construction to it, which I think is really cool. Um, but the most interesting thing for me was really kind of how, how it transforms when it, um, when it basically lands on the planet. When we decided to do this thing,
11: nobody really knew what the best way of making it work was, because there's a lot of limitations you're walking up against. Like, if we are going to make this this floating factory, the footprint of it is going to be massive, which means that the landing spots need to be massive. So we decided to have um, the ship fold just fold out, because that'll be, at least when it lands, it'll be massive, but when you're maneuvering it, it won't be as massive, Um, figuring out how the entire ship is going to fold out, and then how all the robot arms are going to disappear into the bodywork, how the production line slides in and folds around the magic box to conserve space, Um, where all the materials go. It was a really unique and
10: massive challenge. Daunting sometimes, but definitely fun. We've got the technical challenges under the hood of like moving vis areas and moving interiors in the ship which is in incredibly challenging so when we were designing the layout of that we had to kind of keep all that to a minimum so even though the whole ship moves really what's going on under the hood there's a lot of kind of should we say magic tricks to to make it look uh, far more far more alive than it than it needs to be if that makes sense so then when you've landed you're in this kind of you it is a risky situation that you're in like this number one you're in a really kind of um should we say a ship that's probably going to be worth an awful lot of lot to people uh you're you're going to be tanked up on minerals you're going to be tanked up on on everything you need to create what you're doing uh and then also of course you've got the outposts that you put down which need then to become another high risk high reward um factor in gameplay So when myself and Dan were kind of like chatting about it, we were just saying, I I kind of said, you know, it needs to feel fortified. It needs to be designed in a fashion that you can kind of defend what you're doing, not just from, um, shall we say, air fire. Hence, you've got the upward facing turrets when you're down on the ground, Um, but also from um, ambushes on foot. So if you study the layout of the ship when it's on the ground, it kind of feels a little bit like a prison yard. You've got these kind of outlook posts um, with a visibility over the whole ship. The captain's uh, bridge and where the architect is can overlook that whole process and they still have 100% visibility over the landscape that they're planting on, right? So it's, it, that, that was an incredibly challenging but um, really fun um, thing to work on. Uh, and, it, and it kind of, once you get those first ideas in, the rest kind of grows itself, right? So that's really kind of a sign of, I, I personally think it's a sign of really good game development. It's all very well sitting in a room and coming up with all these ideas and saying it's going to be X, Y, and Z. What generally happens in the most successful titles that you see is that you, you they'll have an idea, Something will come through, maybe unexpected, which is the case of the Pioneer, and you just build on those positives. And, and that was that was the case with the Pioneer. We had an idea and it grew and grew and grew to, to what we have now um, that went out into the sale. And it's 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 a really cool and it's something that we've never done before. It's something I don't think anybody's done before. It's really a, a command and conquer flying factory, but in FPS, which is crazy, but it's awesome.
11: The creation of the outpost is actually quite simple. Um, When we got to it, we basically decided that since this ship is going to land and give the player such a unique experience, we want it to feel as kind of like um, a home base, like a Command and Conquer style base that lands where you you plot down. And it, it has to be laborious. You can't just like land for a second and then just fly off and do your thing again. No, this is an intense process. It costs a lot of money a lot of resources, and we just we geared everything towards that. So this ship is not super fast, it's not super agile, um, and it just does one thing, and that's production. So when it lands, it, as you guys have probably seen, it, it folds open, and the two uh, manufacturing sites, basically, get exposed. It takes resources from the resource base all the way through those two manufacturing lines, kind of like how, um, things get crafted in a car plant. And then it puts them in kind of a magic oven because we obviously showing outposts get made is not really efficient in terms of um, how the engine runs, etc., etc. So we, we feed the parts into kind of an oven or a construction module that then takes all those parts. So say on the right side of the plant very clearly, you can see uh, a moving line where raw materials get crafted into a door and that door moves then through a line of production robots that give it color weld um, extra little little details extra little bolts on it attachment points holes and then once that door is semi-complete it moves into the oven and then in the oven magic takes place and out comes this outpost and that then gets placed by uh, autonomous arms in a spot they do designate, basically.
10: I'm really happy with the way it's turned out. I think I think uh, when I, I'm really excited to see it in, in the game. Basically, um, it's it's going to have quite a presence when it comes down. Um, not just from a visual perspective, but also all the VFX that that's going to kick off. Uh, and obviously, the sound. You know, when you're when you're when you're doing this procedure, you need to be lit up like a Christmas tree, literally like seen from outer orbit. And then, okay, right, something's going on down there. Um, so it's it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting to see how the community use it.
1: Do you think that, you know, this is supposed to be a high value ship, high value target, very expensive mm-hmm. to operate. Um, what do you think, what do you think, do you think that people who have purchased the ship, who have purchased mm-hmm. it, do you think that it's gonna be like too big of a task, like too big of a job? If, especially if they're not an org, or do you think it'll be manageable? You know, the, yeah, it's high risk, but you know, got the turrets, it, it's got, it's well fortified. You know, what, what what are your thoughts about that?
2: You're gonna need a group, at least, whether it's an org or a group of friends or something, because that's that's a lot to undertake. You're going to need a staff. I don't think it's going to be possible to try and do that on your own without uh, without multiple people helping you out, especially once that thing has landed. That thing is massive. Um. Just seeing how they said it was going to spread out and, you know, it's just going to almost, it looks like it might double its size mm. when it lands. That's another, that's going to need a crew on its own just to make that ship, uh, you know, just to get it functional and ready to actually start building. Mm. I don't see anybody more than, you know, it, it has to be an org. Or if it's one person, they're going to be running some kind of massive uh, corporate, not, not an organization, but maybe a uh, um, a company of their own. But that's still the same as an org. so they're going to, it's definitely going to be a uh, a ship for populace. It's not going to be one for single, uh, oh. for, especially for single players. You, I mean, you can have one, but it's going to cost an arm and a leg to run that thing, and you're going to need a crew to run it for sure.
1: Mm, okay. Okay, Mm -hmm. good question. There was a question at the very beginning of the stream I want to go back to because I didn't mean to miss it. By the way, if you guys have questions, please feel free to hit the little ellipse icon, the little solar uh, eclipse icon down there and you can punch them in and we will respond to them. And I'm trying to remember who it was who asked the question at the beginning. Um, Oh God, my thing doesn't want to go back that far for some reason. Okay, I, I lost the question. I really want to ask it. But we do have one viewer question says, where will people keep a Pioneer when they're not building with it? Where will it be? I mean, it is a capital class ship, uh, you know. and I don't know if we really have all the answers about where caps will be held. You know, yeah. there's been stories about, you know, you'll be able to leave them in space, they'll remain spawned, and there's other things where they'll despawn at a certain location. I don't know, especially for a ship this big because it is a (laughs) it is a big ship.
2: Yeah, I mean, and it is surprisingly as big as it is. It's a surface side ship. Mm So, I mean, it's going to be on the surface for the majority of its time during building. So I'd imagine it's going to be just building and it's just gonna go from one job to the next, picking yeah. up supplies along the way, um, not necessarily stopping at a station for any given amount of time. And if then probably have a tender craft to go back and forth between the station to get supplies. Mm-hmm. Um it's definitely I don't know if it has a docking collar or oh, if it has a way I'm to dock to the stations or not. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that subscription. But it's a it's such a big ship. I it's I don't see it sitting at a space station and, you know, getting fuel from there. I see a starfarer coming to give it fuel. I see tender craft coming to bring supplies, um, and restock of the ship. And a ship mainly either stays in space above the planet that they're going to be working on, mm-hmm. um, or is on the ground, uh, and, and moving from site to site.
4: Mm-hmm. Now Jade
2: said she wouldn't be shocked if it has a, if it, uh, doesn't have a document. Collar, uh, yeah, yeah. I'd be shocked as well. Yeah. I mean, it should have one, but
1: yeah, capital, <laughs> capital class. I would think it's got to have something, you know, because mm-hmm. it does have the landing pad on top. But I would right. think that there has to be. And I, I mean, it's funny because I, I don't, I tried to see if there was like a PDF, you know, one of those booklets that was put out mm-hmm. for this, and I didn't see mm-hmm. it. Um, and maybe I missed it, but I I tried to find something that had like some detailed specs and designs Yeah, and I couldn't yeah. find anything completely on it other than the drawings that they've put out on the website. So right. maybe there, maybe there is something, I, I don't know. Okay. Well, th- thank you for covering that. I want to go ahead and mm-hmm. jump into the part two to this because there was further discussion that goes into the whole thing about land claims. <clears throat> and they talked about that in the first part at CitizenCon and they also had some stuff to say about that too. So let's hit that next. Okay. okay?
9: Now, no surface outpost is complete without some place for it to call home. And that's where the UEE land claim license come into play. Thanks to the enormous scale of our planets and moons, there are amazing opportunities for players to stake their claim in the Star Citizen universe. In a very special feature for Shipshape, let's check in with no less than Dave Haddock, Aaron Roberts, and Chris Roberts
12: himself to learn more. So we've um, heard a lot about the Pioneer, um, which um, obviously, you know, we introduced back at uh, at CitizenCon. Uh, But also uh, one of the things which uh, really interests me and is actually one of the the things that really excites me about the game mechanics going forward is what actually comes with the Pioneer and that's the right to claim land. Um, but that's something we really didn't go into much detail about. So I'm, I'm basically now joined with Chris and Dave here. Hey guys, how you doing? And we're going to talk a bit about that. So I guess we will just sort of kick it off uh, a little bit of as, OK, what exactly is this right to claim?
13: Well, OK, so, so uh, when we were designing the Pioneer, well, actually, this all sort of came from our original procedural planet tech. So once we started to bring it online, we were like, wow. I mean, look at, you know, because previously it was just going to be one landing location, maybe two landing locations on a world that you couldn't actually walk around. So you would see it from orbit. You would say, "Oh, can I land?" And then we'd sort of have a cinematic that would bring you down there, and then you could walk around a small sort of first-person uh, level of a landing location. But the moment that uh, you know Marco and all those guys started to bring the tech online, we're like, "Wow, okay, this is amazing because we'll be able to have whole world, you know, planets, moons that you know you can walk all over and are rendered at you know the high level of sort of first person detail that we're going for in star citizen and so at that point we're like okay well you know there's a lot of land and so the you know it, and then a planet or a moon is going to feel pretty empty if you just have one location that you go and visit on it so you know we've been very focused on things like okay well what other things can we do on the planets uh you know building out the ecosystems you know distributing resources we really want to push uh, fauna, so there could be you know dangerous wildlife there, or creatures you could hunt, or you know would attack you, or you know gold or minerals or all sorts of stuff you could find and harvest. Even you know maybe areas that you could farm and you know grow crops and sell them off world or whatever. So we want to basically create a lot of gameplay for the huge amount of land that is now available in in the game to play. And so that was really one of the genesis of the pioneer in the first place was like you know we built these. Uh, outposts uh, to populate the moons and eventually populate other worlds as sort of these kind of small kind of you know, pioneer outposts, so to speak, first footprints on worlds. And uh, it, you know, just from an art standpoint or a design standpoint, we're building tools to help us populate those. But it's a huge amount of, uh, of land. So we we're thinking, well, one thing that would be very cool is letting players go find a spot of land and build their own outpost, and let the players almost join us in helping build this world. So yes, us designers and artists are building out the major locations and even secondary towns on some of the more populated planets. But wouldn't it be cool if we had some virgin moons or planets and players could go there and then they could start to set up their own you know, like their own little homestead or them and some friends get together and make their little organization base. And so that was the genesis of uh, the the pioneer itself, which was like, okay, we would probably want a ship that you can go and you can sort of be a base builder. And then we were thinking, well, you know, like the whole, you know, the gameplay of Star Citizen. You know, besides the various, you know, default tropes of science fiction, sort of, um, you know, space sims, which is trading or space combat, being a mercenary, being a pirate. Uh, you know, exploration is one of the biggest things that you know. I think a huge amount of the community want to do. And, you know, from for, from our standpoint, our goal is, you know, not to sort of go to thousands of different star systems that are just a different random number seeded sort of set of planets that you just sort of see from a distance. It's like, you know, you go down onto the planet and you see it in this beautiful detail that's sort of rendered, you know, we've been saying crisis level or or beyond. Uh, so you know, really tactile. You can there, you can touch the, the the trees, the leaves, the plants. You see the wildlife moving around, all that sort of stuff. So we sort of have that, uh, and the exploration aspect of it is, well, yeah, let players discover it. So it's not so much about how many star systems you can hit, but you know, what about mapping these planets or seeing these planets or going to see, you know, like what would be the location to put your perfect homestead or you know where where you're going to build your farm or. You know, where are you going to settle? And so our focus on exploration is almost more in the sort of uh, more specific detailed areas. And so we were thinking, well, we really want to take that and this idea of settlement. Yeah, why don't we let players, instead of us, you know, you go to some uh, department or, we, or, you know, it, you basically say, oh, I'll take track 52 on this moon that you're selling land on or whatever. We didn't really want that. We wanted to make it active for the players. So the player would go out and essentially scout for where they want to uh, settle and where they want to put their base. And so they they basically discover it, fly around. You know, it's all gameplay. You do it in game. You don't you don't automatically get a place. You got to find your place, stake your claim to it. And then we also wanted to make sure that we had a system in place because you know we're, we're, the concern would be, okay, well, I go build my base and I log off, and you know some asshole comes and blows up my base when I'm I'm logged off. And so we sort of came up with this idea of. Uh, this this land claim mechanic and you know the the you know the department oh, of planetary planetary uh, development bureau yeah planetary development bureau and the idea is so so you could go to a world outside of ue space you know you don't have to have a claim or do anything and you can build a base or whatever or hang out there or re, you know mine resources there but it's completely the wild west so some other player can just come in and try to take it from you forcibly You've built a base, you log off, it could get attacked. So you'd have to worry about defending it all the time. But if you went and had an actual official planetary development bureau recognized claim, so you went to a place, you placed your, what we're calling a sort of land beacon here, and you placed it on this uh, part of land, and then you go and file it with the the bureau. Uh, They recognize your lame claim, it's filed in the UEE records, and then now in UEE space, you're, you're basically protected by them. So if someone attacks your base or tries to take it from you, essentially they'll be, you know, become an outlaw, an outlaw or a criminal or wanted. So you have the protection of UEA when it has a land claim mechanic. So we thought that would be a really cool way. And we, so we decided we, we came up with this sort of gameplay mechanic. And then we said, okay, well, that's how, as a pioneer owner, you will sort of claim this spot of land and make sure someone's not gonna troll it. And then you go, you know claim it file it and then build your base and that's where and that's where it came from
12: right and so in terms of the mechanics in terms of so again, it's a bit more detail so you go to, I mean, I guess an office somewhere. And then, so what happens then at that point?
7: Yeah, I mean, and also it's, it's it sort of expands beyond, you know, pioneer ownership. Like it's just it's basically a, an opportunity for anybody yeah, to kind of I claim so, the so, bank. So,
13: so basically in the, you know, as we get because we're going to build out this mechanic because we need it for the pioneers. But the idea would be in the game, you could go to the bureau and, you know, pay with UEC money to uh, do a claim on, uh, uh, you know, like basically go out and set your your place, a homestead on a moon or a planet, then you could do it, right? And, and we're thinking about potentially having one where you have a claim and then potentially an option to lease because, you know, having a claim right may be expensive if you're just starting off. But just like, you know, everything else, it's like if you're buying a house, sometimes you lease it or sometimes right. uh, but, but, you but, rent but, it.
12: But, but sorry, just to clear so the mechanic is you go to the, the office first. Yep. You basically say, I want to, I want a right to claim. Yeah. And then once you have that, then you go explore. Yeah,
7: they issue basically like the idea, like they issue you a certificate that and then basically you go out and and a beacon, you get get this beacon so you can
13: you can put it in. It can record um, the area that That you're claiming, it gets electronically transferred to whatever is some kind of data chip. And then you take the data chip to the office after you've set your claim and give it to them. And if no one else has claimed that same land, it's recorded in your name and now it's legally uh, legally yours. Okay, so what, what happens
12: if someone else is trying to claim at the same time? It's a race. Yes. It's a great so, race. So,
13: <laughs> so, so that's that true. This is why data runners could come in. So if both two people decide, oh, this is a perfect spot, uh, it's whoever files it first is, is going to claim the land. Of course, I mean, there's so much land out there that Uh, You know, I think there's plenty for everyone, but there probably will be some cases where someone scouted and said, oh, this is a really rich resource mine or a beautiful uh, view or or a beautiful view. And and by the way, that's what happens. in I mean, that was kind of what happened in the land rush in the Wild West as well. So we kind of wanted to emulate that. That's the whole idea of the pioneers sort of emulating that. Sort of expansion uh, westward and yeah. the, the land rush.
7: And the sort of physicality of like yeah. having to go right. out and just. Uh, and mean,
13: making it gameplay, right? So, so right. players are actually physically doing this and doing things in the game to achieve things. And even in some cases, could be in opposition with each other or whatever. Yeah. Right. And so you could go in, you could say buy 10 claim
12: rights in one go. You could throw them all together if you want a lot of land, or you could do it. So you could space them out in different areas. Or if
13: you're, you know, I don't know. Or yeah, I mean, so we, have, we, haven't, like, we haven't considered, we probably wouldn't limit uh, you know, to you just want, uh, like claim like Cause we're basically calling these sort of claim licenses. And so you can, you have a license to claim, uh, a, you know, a, a plot of land, uh, and you know, yes, you could, you could probably, you know, buy a few of these in the game. Like for instance, some people may concern about building their outposts, but some people like if you're just a miner, like one of the reasons why it's not tied necessarily to the pioneer is if I'm a miner. I don't really care that much about building myself an outpost. What I care about is I want to secure a, a, an area rich in resources. Oh, look, there's great minerals here and then I want to mine it. Well, of course, if you have a claim to it, you're sort of protected. Otherwise, you know, you can be mining this resource and a bunch of other people can be coming in and trying to take it from right.
12: you. And so the claim is for everything above and below ground. Is that yes. what you saying? Yeah. Okay. yeah,
13: that's the the idea is, I think, yeah, I mean, we've currently been playing with the idea of two sizes, ones that's sort of four by four kilometers, which is a plot, and one that's eight by eight kilometers, which we call an estate. And if you're a pioneer owner, you get with the ship the materials to build one outpost and an estate uh, claim license. And then so you have to go and find your 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 place in the game, claim it, register it, and then build your base. Um, and then, But if you're a miner, for instance, you may just be, OK, I want to get a bunch of uh, different plots. And then I look around, and I'm scouting on this moon And there's a really rich mineral seam and so i'll like claim that and then that can be mine to harvest i don't have to worry so much about someone else harvesting because if it's in ue space you'll be protected it'll be it's just like getting a license to mine in today's world so we wanted to put some structure that doesn't mean that you couldn't go outside of ue space and just mine without a license and that would be fine too it's just a bit more risky
12: right and 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 so and i guess also you know if you're looking at land in certain ways you know obviously we have stuff like um you know the prospector and so forth where you want to go and actually find out you know obviously if you just go and buy if you just go and claim some land just because you think there might be minerals it may not be the wisest thing to do oh yeah life. no no
13: you definitely no so definitely you would like uh so like in terms of going and scouting your land like things uh ships like the prospector some of our more sort of scanning science-based ships like the killer aquilos uh they're all those would be kind of the ships you would go and if you're looking for rich resources and minerals, you'll be using them to be doing deep scans on the moon or the planets and finding where the resources are. And, and we're going to, on, you know, this is actually one of the focuses of, of you know, going forward into next year is to try to work very much on sort of things like the mining mechanics and stuff like that and resource management. So, and we are, and it will be persistent resources. So if you go and find a seam and then you start mining it at some point, you'll probably mine it out and you'll have to move on to another one and we'll record it persistently for the moons and the planets. Uh, but they'll all be distributed. There'll be resources on, you know, uh, most of the celestial bodies. Some will be richer than other ones will be. So, I, so you know, our hope is to create a lot of gameplay besides just, say, so on building his own outpost. they, you know, like I said, they could be mining or they could say, oh, this is where I, this would be a good place to farm, um, you, know, you know, different kinds of crops that then I can go and sell um, to other people for a profit. So we're tr- really trying to, like, use this land right. and let players... Choose what they want to do with it, whether they just want to hang out with the base, or create a farm, or create a mining uh, I guess, installation. I guess you could even, I guess, create a
12: uh, refinery because you know there's a lot of miners near you, and you can you can say, hey, if you come to if you come to my refinery, I'll charge you a bit more than than the usual, but because it's right next oh, to you, well, you have to well, to yeah. I mean, the like answer.
13: longer term, definitely. I mean, I'm you know the first stage having all the extra bit. I mean, well, I think we're just starting with a with an outpost, and then there'll be some add-ons like a you know mining. Kind of nodding donkeys or some hydroponics and stuff which we have in the outpost now but yes definitely we would start to you know have more variety of um you know kind of modular building stuff you can do like the outpost and yeah, you know, one of them would be yeah, building up more of a, a little refinery or building up um you know your sort of farm this is the direction we're going to be going for sort of a bit of a of a crafting economy where you can see the resources of this universe and players utilize them in different ways to earn money. So, yeah, you can earn money being a badass mercenary, but you could also earn money being a great miner or a good farmer. Yeah, I guess
12: also you could also, like I said, be a mercenary and protect people's bases if, you know, it's like Exactly. Well, well so. no, that's
13: what we're looking at. I mean, so, you know, I would say that, you know, even in the case of, uh, uh, you know, you've got something protected by the UE, there certainly will be people that are want to operate outside the law that may want to come and steal stuff from you. And so I, I would definitely think that, like, some of the bigger places or installations would be more sort of organization centric I could definitely see an organization getting together, sort of building their own little settlement. Different people can log on at different times and they 're basically running their operations so we re- and, and these are so this is one of the fundamental parts of uh, building that tool set for players and I'm, and i 'm really quite excited because it's, it it has a lot of uh, agency for a player themselves because you know we don't know what they're going to do we don't know where they're going to put stuff so it can be really cool it's, it's going to be a combination of what we're putting down as designers and artists and what players are actually creating uh well, so also
12: and if, if they move into a system and they populate you know enough and they bring in more ue presence and it's, there's a lot of things where you kind of like bring this sort of stuff and it, come, it turns them from a border place you know to uh, to a much more populated level yeah they shift the just, direction of the better, yeah,
7: better,
13: yeah, 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 know, yeah. better super spectrum. excited by it. i mean i know um Marco and Tony are both very, very focused on all this aspect, because, you know, you know, it's kind of the model that we're going for, which is we're trying to go really deep, we're not we don't want to go super, we're not going so wide, but we're trying to go super deep, and just allow a lot of opportunity and then just natural behaviour will come out of players interacting with each other and interacting with AI. And all the systems and rule sets that we have will, I think, make a pretty interesting. Cool. one. Yeah, I just
12: want to just reinforce to make sure um, I'm clear on this: is because obviously, you know, you, you are talking about you know with the panniers, it's quite you know it's quite an expensive ship and so forth. I mean, but the, the but you literally will be able to, as a player, if you want to get in your Aurora, go go um, go you know go to the office get your claim and then just fly anywhere you want to go and if you're obviously if you're just really interested in getting a, a beautiful vista over a lovely lake you can go there land and state well, your claim and, well, and, do, and yeah, yeah and totally so
13: yeah i mean the idea is that it shouldn't be tight it just happened that we had to come up with the mechanic for the pioneer because the pioneer was going to get you know build your base and we had to figure out the mechanic for it but this mechanics for everybody and it shouldn't be exclusive to people with big super capital ships it shouldn't be for anyone and you know because you may not actually even want to build a base like i was saying if you're a miner you may just want to like uh secure some land for you to do mining or perhaps you build a piece of land and then you hire a person that has a pioneer to come and build you your your place and again that's cool because that's players working with other players because that's something going forward into next year you know we've talked about the service beacon, but you know the next level with the what we're going to do is in 3 you have all these missions you can get Uh, But they're all sort of generated by the AI and some of them are generated by the system based on player actions. But the next level will be player missions where you're like, hey, I'm stuck in space. Come rescue me. Or I need someone to be my escort. And that's kind of what we're talking about the service beacon. And again, this would be the same thing. You'd be like, hey, I need someone to build me an outpost on this moon or something like that. So I'm super excited about that. So of course,
12: once you own it, then you've got a right to sell it. Yep. Um, so like, you know, one of the things you I was just flip thinking it. about is, uh, if you know, a bit of a property developer, you, you <laughs> yeah. go in, you, you search out, you find the most amazing location, and you, you just buy the land, and then someone else comes along and wants that location, and you can flip it yeah. for more. Or, for or, you, or see. you could
13: go there, you could build it, and then you could flip it for even it more. It even more yeah, yeah, no, totally. So <laughs> yeah. Like, like, generally in Star Citizen, the goal is, you know, what you think, what happens in the real world, we're sort of doing an approximation of on all levels. And so there shouldn't really be uh you know any one specific profession you need to go in like there isn't there isn't there shouldn't be a definition of win in star citizen because win is however you look at it right yeah i mean some person's version of winning could be being the best trader someone's version of winning could be being a great farmer or uh you know some people just like to putter around and make some money um, doing cargo runs, uh, you know, or they want to be a badass pirate. I mean, they, so what we want to do is create the tools like in, in the real world where like the definition, your definition of whether you're a winner or not is totally up to you. It's, you know, some people, you know, I'm, I, I help people. I'm, I'm, I feel I'm a winner or I, I'm the best athlete at this, you know, sport. You know, I feel like there isn't any particular one way to go and we don't want that in Star Citizen either. So it's just creating this really uh, deep sandbox that allows people all these tools to essentially live a virtual life in in our universe, uh, and I think that's um, going to be pretty cool.
4: No,
12: yeah. Yeah. so sounds cool to me. I've, I've got no more questions there on this kind of uh, <laughs> and stuff. I'm just looking forward to uh, to that's a bit like I said, to me my um, that's what we're really looking forward to is this mechanic coming online, and uh, and we'll be focusing on it. So
13: yes, I know. I think I, I mean we're 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 just um, you know three zeros almost out. But, you know, from our plans uh, that we're working on, I mean, our big focus, I know that like you and Tony and Todd, Paul, uh, you know, and all the, you know, what we're trying to get this, uh, you know, coming year and beyond is really focusing on yeah, diving down into more of the the gameplay and the functionality. So we've got a lot of the, the, the bones now in place with what's in 3.0, uh, but, you know, really polishing out and adding more uh, gameplay features and functions and more things to do and more ways to interact, more ways to bring your your friends into the game. And uh, uh, and that's, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Cool. Well, thanks everyone.
9: Thanks guys. Nice. Thank you very much. <laughs> thanks guys. I can't tell you how much the idea of carving out my own little section of the Star Citizen universe on some moon or asteroid and calling it my own excites me. And for those of you who are worried about us, you know, running out of room, Did you know that if all 1.9 million current Star Citizens today got a land license, there'd be room enough for them all on a single planet in our universe. And that's with like half the planet to spare. Even the larger estate-sized parcels. That's a big universe.
1: All righty. Um, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah,
4: I, I, I kind of kept that
1: last part in that he mentioned uh-huh. because I know three, there three are, are going to be people <laughs> wondering, oh, are we going to run out of land? And that right. statistic that he gave saying that, and mind you, we have 3 million people now. We were at 1.9 million at that time. But he said, even then, that wasn't even half of a planet let alone mm-hmm. when we start talking about all the moons and planets in the system. So in other words, there yep. will be plenty of real estate. I think that's pretty much what they're saying. Give me your thoughts about what you heard about that in relation to uh, you know the whole thing with land claim. I'm curious to know yeah. what you think.
2: Well, the first thing that kind of came to mind, and Jay brought this up, is that it, um, it reminded me of Second Life and land claims when that first began. They were selling for big money, mm-hmm. and, and you could buy them and resell them. You can hack them up and sell pieces of them off to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, and I can see that almost happening in, in Star Citizen. But possibly, you know, we we were we had talked about and, and NFTs a lot, uh, and uh, and that that could be a way to buy and sell land or lease it to other players or other groups so let
1: me ask you this do you think there's a danger even though there's a lot of land right Mm -hmm. there's things that they call prime real estate right yes and do you think that cig needs to leave the market open for dominance or do you think they Mm. need to put a restriction in because let's just say I, i don't I don't know if there's gonna be any buying on like the major place, like let's say Terra, right? I don't don't know if there's anything like that. But let's just say that there is some moon or planet that is just, I mean, it is the most gorgeous thing, right? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. There are some people, uh, mind you, for those, and by the way, for those of you who are wondering why we're talking about land in relation to the Pioneer, let me tie the strings together. When the Pioneer went on sale, uh, they also put land claims on sale at that time too. And people who bought a Pioneer, they got land a land claim as part of their package. So they got an eight by eight, eight kilometer by eight kilometer package that went along with their ship. You could though, even if you didn't buy a Pioneer, you could either buy a four by four, 4K by 4K, or you could buy an eight by eight. At that time, the prices were $50 for the four by four And and I think $100 for the eight by eight. There are people, DK, and you know this, Mm -hmm. who have the money, (laughs) who will go in and drop $10,000 on land on a moon or a planet, right? (laughs) Okay. So in real life, people do that, right? But at the same time, you know, the CIG allow that to happen. Do they? put a restriction on and says, you can only buy 10 parcels at the most, you know, Mm -hmm. or you can Mm -hmm. only buy five parcels every quarter. Uh, How do they protect that so that, you know, the people who just happen to get the drop and have got the money. Yeah, I mean, Jade said, there are people that'll drop a hundred thousand. Yes, they will. You know what I mean?
2: So what, it's what do you a thought? hard thing, Griff. It's <laughs> a hard thing because there are people out there that will drop that kind of money and, and hoard land.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, is CIG going to allow that? I don't know. I mean, if they get into the process of being able to lease out from – thank you, Jalop for, uh, mm-hmm. for that subscription. Um, oh, if they thanks. get to the point of leasing land, um, mm-hmm. that is going to be something that will be a problem for somebody who's just spent hundred grand on a planet basically mm. and then they're going to piece it out for a lot more money at the same time um it, it is a business so you know so there's that but i think they might leave those big big purchases Maybe they should just tie them to orgs and say that an org will be able to purchase to say a 32 by 32 piece parse, you know, of land as mm-hmm. opposed to an eight by eight. You know, that, you know, the larger the org, the more possibility of getting maybe a little bit more land. But I, I don't know. That's really a hard one to uh, to think about right now is how they are going to do that. Because yeah. it, it's an iffy situation when you got real money involved.
1: Yeah. And there's, you know, here's an issue too, right? There's the person who buys land because they literally want to do something something on it right
4: mm-hmm, then there's mm-hmm. the person
1: who buys land because they're doing it on prospect right or the, the possibility of value of the land going up right or mm-hmm. or or the person who wants to flip uh the person who basically wants to work as a real estate person right it's like right i right. paid this much for it but i'm going to charge but this is prime land over here this land is by the lake i'm willing to sell for you a 20 percent markup Maybe the land mm-hmm. is not so close to the lake. I'll sell it to you for five percent markup, and then that's how they do their economy. That's how they make right. their money in game, right? Now, for some people, they may be willing to do it, right? I mean, people do it right now with something like a domain name, right? Some people will actually mm-hmm. pay that stupid money to somebody who's bought the name ahead of them because they really, really want it.
2: Right? Really want it, right? So right, exactly. you know,
1: I guess my my thing is that how do you have a, a certain aspect of free market and allow the players to have that creativity? And at the same time, make sure that the game remains equitable so that people can have access, you know, and not that moon that has the greatest sunrise and the greatest lake Mm -hmm. on it. You don't have somebody who comes in and buys 80% of that land. I mean, that would be a ridiculous amount of money. That would be ridiculous, but they might try. But but, but what what they might do, what they might do is buy the land around all the best lakes, right? Yeah. They may do that, right? I mean, you know, not not oceans, y'all said lakes. They may buy the money because <laughs> because of the economics of being near water. You know, if you want to build some type of uh, hydroponics, I mean, there's some value in doing that. So I don't yeah. know. I'm just kind of curious ab- about that. Um,
2: Speaking of hydroponics, they said it twice. So they, are they hinting at something?
1: <laughs> well, you know, agriculture, farming keeps coming up, hydroponics, you know, this stuff keeps coming up. Yeah. Um, I remember when 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 vehicles first came into the game, and people were and, and CIG was talking about introducing vehicles, and there were people in the in the Star Citizen community who pushed back on this whole idea of moons and planets being a big thing. You know, their their mm-hmm. idea about Star Citizen was about space. It was about mm-hmm. being in space. It was about maybe combat exploration. You know, things like that. But that idea of you know this emphasis or focus being around being on the ground again it really some people didn't really embrace that so much right and and now that mm-hmm. we've had vehicles and things come out people are kind of warming up to it more and now that we're yeah. talking about homesteads i think right. people are warming yeah. up to it in the sense of missions right but the pioneer is beyond about missions right it's about people being able to set up i'm not going to rent at R corp you know i'm not going to live on my you know my Connie but I'm actually going to mm-hmm. have a place on the ground where I'm right. living and I need to have that built. Um, I remember when I played Galaxies, there were mm-hmm. people who, that's what they did. They ran their business. They did everything. Like they had, a, like, let's say they made made clothing, right? Or made yeah, weapons. Yeah. They did it on a moon somewhere. And that's all they did. They would go into town sometimes, but beyond that, they didn't care about being out in space. Do you think Star Citizen's going to do the same thing? This whole thing with having these residences. I mean, will people literally, that's where they live. That When they log into the game, they're at oh, their yeah. crib. You know what I mean? And they're at their hydroponics place and that's all they're doing. They don't really care about, maybe they'll go to a space station one time for supplies or something, but beyond that, yeah. they're waiting on their band new merchantman to come to give them
2: some stuff and, and that's it. Exactly. Uh, you know, you got your Banu Amazon truck coming to top <laughs> off your goods. You know, that's uh, people will live on homesteads. There will be people who have absolutely no interest in flying a ship. They mm-hmm. will get on my Starliner and I will take them to where they need to go. They'll get off on vacation, do their thing, and get on another Starliner and go right back.
10: Mm-hmm. But
2: they have no interest. They'll they'll. Travel by vehicles towards, you know, between each little outpost town or whatever that's Mm -hmm. on their moon or their planet, grow their crops, you know, craft their their, their goods and sell them on, uh, you know, on Fast Cart's uh, Banu merchantman. He goes and picks them up and takes them somewhere else and sells it. Mm -hmm. I could see absolutely being a thing. People. Everyone, like like Chris had actually said in that talk, he said that people will be able to, it's winning is based on the individual is, is yeah. what it is. So each person has their own idea of what they are doing to win. Mm-hmm. And for some people that is winning, just having a homestead, setting up a farm, and doing something simple like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, okay. And actually, um, there was one thing that I wanted to bring up. Uh, MTS Tuner had uh, made a really good point about uh, what we would see with something like the Pioneer. And uh, he said, you'd imagine just seeing a large uh, a convoy of, of yeah, I saw him say that, yeah. You know, fighters and carriers mm-hmm. and Haldies all just going out. Absolutely. I could see that too. It would be cool. I could see he's just going out and finding a moon and saying, this is ours. <laughs> yeah, that would
1: be cool. It would be cool to see. Uh-huh. It would be. Mm-hmm. Moriar, by the way, thank you. We did get the link. I took a look at it. That fi- that picture I had seen, I didn't see it in the, in the publication, so thank you, because Moriar mm-hmm. sent me a copy of the uh, 2017 program booklet that had the Pioneer when it was debuted. Um, okay. I, what I was looking for, yard was the, you know how sometimes they'll do like the brochure, like, you know, like when you're buying a car, I was wondering if they had put out anything like that for the Pioneer and it looks like they hadn't, but uh, mm. even on that picture, which was kind of an early drawing, they didn't show anything about a docking collar and that was the reason why he sent it to me, we were trying to see if there was some location one, for docking, okay. but it didn't, it didn't show up on the, I looked at it, it while we were watching that and I didn't
2: see yeah. anything. And granted, we're very early, you know, that was a very early look at Mm -hmm. the ship itself, and considering what we've seen with the other ships, especially the Nomad, the Nomad is a really good example because it is Consolidated Outlands, and when we saw the intro video, I saw hints of what the Nomad, you know, of the Nomad in that original picture with the orange, you know, floors and the angler, Mm -hmm. you know, angler walls and things like that, so, but obviously it will be brought up to current Ship standards, so I imagine docking collars oh, yeah. and you know all of these other kind of things are, will be added at some mm-hmm. point in time. Good Absolutely, point. good point. Let's take
1: a quick look. Uh We're talking about this land ownership. There's a sign there that says "trespassers, basically you'll be shot." Okay, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but they have talked <laughs> about being able to you being able to protect your land. Whether the UEE uh, puts out some type of you know something in the law system kicks in. They talked about another right. you know, person gets crime stats. They said they're not going to be hovering over your you know your plot of land but there will be some type of ramification. I think mm-hmm. either Chris or Todd, or somebody talked about these sensors that, or Tony, he yeah, said, that you can put in your yeah. ground, and if somebody comes to your land and starts doing something, you'll get a notification saying, hey, there's somebody digging a hole, <laughs> you know, in, <laughs> in that gold mine that you're trying to do. So I'm right? curious to see tech like that. I mean, people are kind of worried about whether the ship is gonna do all this building. I'm looking at what is along, once it's built, all that Mm -hmm. stuff that comes along with it. They've talked about defensive turrets, uh, whether there's some type of AI, like right now we've got the new turrets that we saw at CitizenCon this year that are protecting Mm -hmm. bases. Mm -hmm. Is that one of those things that we'll be able to go into town and buy and have those installed on our base? So if somebody does decide to come in and wants to attack my base or whatever it is, that's a a point defense system that's in my home. Mm -hmm. Let me jump to this real quick because they showed these a little bit, and this is kind of a greater detail. There are these okay. uh these land claim stakes that they said. Uh there were two of them. This is the one that is for the four by four made by GeoTrack. Um mm-hmm. the small print is the Great cat, by the way, Great Cat produces these. That's just interesting okay. that you know, good old industrial oh. Great Cat is the manufacturer for these. But there are two versions of it. There is the Geo a Geotrack, and then there's the Geotrack called X. And this is the one, if you have the larger plot of land Mm -hmm. and basically Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be able to penetrate any type of ground or rock that you need to stick it into. Uh, Chris alluded to the fact that uh, once you do that, there'll be like a chip that's inside that you will pull from it. And I guess Mm -hmm. it's your little microchip or whatever. And then that's what you would take to go file your claim once that's in. And then I guess this thing will activate or whatever. And then, you know, it's a sensor to let people know when you're hitting right. your area. The other thing that they had, by the way, this stuff came out when the Pioneer came out, gang. So if you're wondering where it was, well, how come you've never seen it? It's because when the Pioneer came out, these were the uh, the, the the marketing tools that they gave us to let us know about it. DK, I don't know if you can read that. My screen is small. I could do it if I I have to. Can you? But
2: Mm -hmm. this is for the 4 by 4 Could you read that to everybody? Let me read this out for you. Uh, It is this this certificate entitles to bear to claim a single piece of UEE declared territory of 4 kilometers by 4 kilometers in size for the purposes of residential, commercial, or industrial development. Territory must be filed with the United Empire of Earth Planetary Development Bureau as an uncontested land uh, claim along with compatible geographic data of desired par- uh, parcel in order to be claimed. Once approved, the bearer is entitled to all rights tied to this parcel under the United Empire of Earth's Articles of de- uh, Development Section three six dash AI dash <laughs> dash nine and shall be the legal tenant of that property and enjoy all rights therein.
1: All right, so that's that's your quote unquote official document. Yeah. That one, like you said, is for the four by four. That one there is for the eight by eight. The, okay. Yeah. Basically, say the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Says the same thing. You know what it reminds me of, Griffin and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure some people can in, in the chat probably can. I say this if they played No Man's Sky, you put down a base computer, that's your base, and it, you turn it on and it opens up the signal and it claims mm-hmm. 300 by 300 piece of land, and mm-hmm. that is yours. Um, that's kind of what that reminds me with the uh, with the gray cat, um, with the gray cat po- or or the uh, beacons that, mm-hmm, they, yep. that they put down is doing that, and he also brought up something else data running. That's where, what are the things of running data? They need to get that data of claiming that land as soon as possible. Get an MSR, fly it to the next location to Mm -hmm. to register that land as quick as possible. I noticed that. That was great. Yeah, well,
1: you know what? If you ain't got an MSR, you get that Herald, brother. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're, they're I'm water. just saying there are going to be those people who that's you know, that's their gig, right? Because you could imagine mm-hmm. a group of people who say, as a group, as a collective, right? We want to build our let's build Soul City, right? That's what we, that's by right, the way, that's what we're right. gonna call our Soul we're City, right? We're gonna build Soul City now. I'm telling y'all that now, right? We're gonna build Soul City, all right. And 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 you know, you got four or five friends that are doing something and you want to get those tags in, right? So, right. you know, you, mm-hmm. you, what's the fastest way, MSR whatever the case may be but you want to be able to file as quickly as you possibly can okay yep. um okay that that's good stuff let's see where are we at right now we looked at that we looked at that let's take a quick look at a couple of videos that they put out uh and, and these are just we're just going to talk about these a little bit one of them is on outposts um this uh let's see I'm trying to remember what this was from I think this was from ISC if I'm not mistaken um And and this is showing. Oh, this is when they were first showing us what the general outposts look like, right? These are the ones that are named after the different manufacturers, the ones that we have in game right now. Uh, And there's a variety of configurations, right? But it's a little kind of boring, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, other than maybe changing the paint on them and configuration, that's about it. But we get it. This is where we where it all got started, right? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things they talked about, uh, Todd Pappy talked about, was being able to build these different types of facilities, right? Uh, the, the not a bazaar, what do you call it? A trading post, right? Or trading a lab, post. things of mm-hmm. that nature. Um, do you think that they're gonna provide, we've seen props, right? We've seen props in relation to the residential stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. and we've mm-hmm. seen it in the sense of like, and we're gonna, we're gonna show t- structures in a little bit. Do you think that this stuff though, will be viable in game? Like you can actually go buy that horticultural what? drum and put it into your lab. Is that what they're gonna allow us to do you think? Cause once this, cause the pioneer doesn't provide that, but do you think right. once you built the base, you gotta put stuff in there? Do you think I that would that's imagine to be it? they
2: could, sh- they should give us the opportunity to do it. I mean, if I wanted to build a hydroponics lab, I want to build it and have the equipment in there that I want to have in there. Okay. Um, as, as opposed to like a preset. But from what we were looking at, um, and we'll probably get to this when we get to Raster, um, it is it looks like some of that will be pre built um, mm-hmm. and perhaps smaller items that we can purchase to put into those mm-hmm. uh, particular units. But say if it's like a hydroponics lab, that's has to have uh this type of a greenhouse set up and this type of um you know refrigeration or this type of conditioning and things Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. but you can decide on what type of you know like a bearing or uh you know know what i mean just like different brands and things like that or different types that you can put into the hydroponics different plants different veggies and things like that but Mm -hmm. the hard equipment is actually preset. So it's like, this is a hydroponics Finally, lab. It has the check in middle once the ongoing work time. of our colonial yeah. style. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to cut yeah, in on you. I was trying <laughs> to set it up, we but here we saw go.
9: The 2D concepts turned into 3D concepts, and that was a big step in helping us visualize and evaluate the direction we wanted to take them. What you're seeing here is the next step in that look dev process where we've now taken the raw, very rough 3D concept meshes and brought them down to a planet in-engine, similar to the way the team reviewed 3D docking concepts by sticking them onto existing space stations. Now, it's important to note here that these are still concepts and that the process of building them into viable in-game assets has not yet begun. So let's set our expectations accordingly.
1: Let me stop there, I'm let it run. Do you think CIG will give owners of a Pioneer the capability to have variety of design or just the modular look? Because obviously the value of that ship will be pretty serious if you can not only pick that square box, but if you can also pick that curved domed type shape or the one that looks more futuristic or the one that looks more rural do you think that there's a possibility that the Pioneer will churn out even different type, not just, you know, a lab or a, a trading post, but an actual mm-hmm. different, different looking lab, different looking trading post?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that was like when I first saw this mm-hmm. and comparing it to what we saw with the Pioneer before, and it was just a prefabs mm-hmm. and seeing this, I was like, it, it, we have to be able to do that with a Pioneer. I, it, it would be. It would behoove them to not have that ability to have different types of uh, uh, designs and styles and things like that that you can build. Maybe each pioneer specializes in a style. Uh, So maybe one is specialized in building prefabs. Somebody might want to just build prefabs, so they stock their ship with the blueprints for prefabs, Mm -hmm. uh, the equipment for prefabs, materials, and things like that. But then there may be another person with a pioneer who wants to go more and you know, this spice like
1: this. It's yeah. interesting that you said about blueprints because maybe that could be another aspect of you know, you if you want to have your place look a certain way, you know, as the owner, you buy the mm-hmm. blueprint and then and then the person who uses the ship, all they need is the blueprint to produce oh, whatever right. it is you want. But of course, you got to have the materials that match up to whatever that blueprint is, right? Exactly. But I I love that idea. Um, and I know that some people who still think that well, building, you know, there was a space game but I'll tell you, you know, we've been monkeying around in No Man's Sky, right? Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. people have talked about how, not just that, if you're into some of these survival games, people spend a tremendous amount of time building where they're gonna live, right? I mean, a lot of time building where you're gonna live. Um, And because of things such as weather, dynamic weather, bad conditions, you need to have some place that you could be safe, right? A place where you can store your equipment to be safe, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that um, building is going to become much bigger than most people talk about? Because people are still talking about combat and ships. But do yeah. you think that, you know, this whole thing about living somewhere on a moon or a planet is going to grow as this, you know, this tech starts to get closer and closer to us?
2: Yeah, I, I, I think when people think about there's a there's a very large sect of people that are interested in the aspect of living in the game. Um, and actually having a life in the game that is not just the typical, oh, I'm going to do some combat, I'm going to grind trading, I'm going to, you know, do this or that. They mm-hmm. just want to live in the game and have a uh, a sense of a community in their area with their groups of people and things like that. So there is going to be, you know, Second Life is a thing. And there's we always talk about Second Life in space when a lot of people talk about... um. Uh, a Star citizen, but the truth is is that there are people that are interested in that type of gameplay, and this homestead, these kinds of uh, outposts, feeds that kind of creativity. Okay. Uh, where I could know, see somebody with a pioneer uh, completely just selling themselves. So, I'm going to build your custom home and help you design it and do all of this kind of stuff, and you're going to pay me this much, and that sounds good. You know, people will make a real good living off of this, okay, okay. absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. The other thing we'll look at real quick is, is these structures. Up this week,
9: let's mm-hmm. check in mm-hmm. once again with the team working on colonialism-style homesteads, and we have some additional. Thanks for the follow. For the Thank you for that follow. throughout the various encampments, like these cooling stations for enormous server racks, power plants with varying arrays of subcomponents like antenna, piping, displays, ladders, and more. Fuel tank arrays with a variety of blockouts altering the way in which they connect with one another as they expand out across the horizon. Solar array add ons for both the power plants we saw before and habitat buildings themselves. Refinery units. And finally, potential blockouts for combining many of those aspects into outdoor storage yards that will form the basis for a wide variety of NPC and player experiences in the future. Now we'll start learning more about how these homesteads will begin being integrated into the Persistent Universe in the coming months.
4: Okay,
1: so... We're gonna we're gonna, we're still looping this into the whole thing with the pioneer. Once you've yeah. built your place, DK, it's not like you're just gonna go <laughs> in and turn the light switch on and the lights are gonna come on, right? <laughs> I mean, how <Power>.
4: you're <laughs> gonna need it all. Right?
2: Okay. Water supplies, okay. food supplies, everything. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, I um. Oh, okay. okay. No, well, go ahead. no, what were you gonna say? Um. No, I was gonna say when they were showing all of these items for like the power plants, the storage, and things like that. You notice, you know, some of them are gas storage, some of it is liquid storage, and things mm-hmm. like that. I, I we had a conversation a long, uh, uh, quite a while ago about uh, when they were showing the water tech um, and uh, the rivers and stuff like that, of being able to refine hydrogen out of the water mm-hmm. uh, and store the gas in one of these gas tanks and sell it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as as a profession. That would be something I could easily see somebody doing with these kinds of buildings, these storage units that they have there. And power, obviously, solar power is probably going to be the bigger thing. So, you know, lots of solar panels you see there. There might be players that sell solar panels.
1: Do you, do <laughs> let his, well, let me ask you this. Do you think that the Pioneer may ultimately be a means to even build some of the things that we just saw on the screen there? Uh, yeah. You know, some of the items, I mean, they, again, they've talked about being able to purchase some things and have them brought in. But do you think like that server tower, I mean, because they what they said about the Pioneer is this, they said that you, put the, you have the ingredients, all the raw materials, they mm-hmm. track through, and then there's this big center section there that they call the magic oven, right? You mm-hmm. don't really see mm-hmm. something being assembled, but as long as you have the resources and material and they're fed in there, whatever you dial in and say, this is what I want to have made, it will open up and then that thing will be there, right? Then the crane comes mm-hmm. along, moves it from that inner part of the ship and b- brings it out and allows you to place it wherever it needs to be placed. Then you can go back and make something else and you can start connecting right. them. So these different items, I'm just curious, some of them are pretty big, right? But the but, mm-hmm. the Pioneer is pretty big too.
2: It's big itself, right. And so <laughs> some
1: people have already talked about, a fast card mentioned to us earlier, that when the Pioneer came out, it was 750, if you bought it War Bond, and then it was 850. Um, and the question becomes, with this being a capital ship, with it also not being out yet, we already know that there's going to be a price increase, right? Yes, but there if will. this thing, if, and I'm, mind y'all, this is some theorycraft and so bear with me here. If this thing is more than just about houses, if this thing is about, they said it's manufacturing, that's how they define right. it, it's about manufacturing. Yeah. If this thing is now able to build the solar panels you need or a generator that you need, uh, those things that you need to complement that homestead, right? What do you think the value of this ship may become, ultimately, if you had to take a shot? Oh, at if it. we're
2: talking real money dollars? Yes. Oh, good lord! Well, I, if it's at eight fifty, it's probably going to be nine fifty by the time we get to IAE. <laughs> after that, I don't know, man. It's, it could go up to well over a thousand dollars if that's the case. Um, depending on, a lot of it will depend on what they're planning to do with. The building mechanics. And as they tell us more information about what it can build, uh, the value will completely go up. Yeah. Absolutely. Ramar yeah. says $999 and 99 cents. Don't forget
4: that
1: <laughs> part. <laughs> yeah, Admiral, Admiral says that that included the land claim, but I'm gonna be honest with you, Admiral, I don't think the land claim was a part of the purchase price. Mm-mm. I think that was the perk that was given to you for buying it because you could still buy them separately. So I know what you're saying. You could deduct it, but my best guess is the price of the ship is seven fifty, and it's not because of the land claim. So but yeah. you, maybe you're right, but I, I, I kind of get the idea that that was just like the bonus they threw in, like when they throw in a skin, they don't charge you mm-hmm. extra for the skin. They just it's just part of the the motivation to get you to get it. Um, but we'll see. Right time
2: and, time will tell. Yeah, and like you said, with these kind of uh, things like these power stations and things like that, if if they give that ability to have multiple, you know. Again, blueprints Mm -hmm. of different things like these. Um, Maybe it's different pioneers that specialize in those types of equipment. So one pioneer specializes in power equipment and uh, manufacturing equipment and things like that. And then another specializes in the homes. And, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it, it, the sky's the limit when it comes to something like this. But we, it's like we said, we're theory crafting. We're yep. going 100% no, but we're getting a better idea as time comes along, especially now yep. we're seeing some action.
1: Well, for those of us who played Eve, we remember that there were certain things, if you wanted them in Eve, you had to get a blueprint, then you had to get the materials, and then it was a matter of mm-hmm. time things to be built. And so I would think it would be very cool if when I wanted to have a refinery, cause I'm, I'm gonna do mining on this particular moon, right? Mm-hmm, if I mm-hmm. wanted to get a refinery that I'd have to go purchase from the mining people or whatever, uh, some type of blueprint cost me money to get this blueprint. I see what I need off that blueprint to, you know, materials wise, and now I've got to go get those materials, whether they purchase them or mine them or however I get them. Then I deliver right. them to the person who owns a Pioneer, say, here's the blueprint for this. Here's the materials, I need you to produce this for me. That would be really cool from mm-hmm. an economy. And also just kind of a motivation of things to do mo at least to me it would yeah, be. Yeah. It would be absolutely. to me. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: It drives our economy and you know, is gonna be a thing, obviously. And you know, when that goes into effect, the prices of materials are gonna mm-hmm. drastically affect the price of you of your building uh, you know that you're going to have constructed and uh you're going to have to seek out who's going to be doing the building and am i going to get the right price for it and am i going to get the materials to be able to do it Mm -hmm. you know all these other kind of logistical and we go back to logistics it's a logistical thing uh trying to get this put together and it's going to be interesting to see how players Make this uh, into its profession that it's grown that that's going to grow to be. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's really fascinating. I'm fascinated. I'm really really fascinated about it this. Is. And anybody that has a pioneer, I want to just want to get on it and just watch. <laughs> <laughs> Jade says she asked one, so okay. yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> All
1: right, let's take a quick look. As as, you, as we talked about earlier, we're getting near the end of the show here. Uh, they were talking about Rastar at the last uh, CitizenCon right, this new technology they have. Oh, I know what the yes. question was at the beginning of the show. Someone asked about whether they would have land deformation if you place things, and the answer to that is yes. They've mm-hmm. shown us that with the tools previously, but even now in Rastar, they're gonna show you again. You'll see the land surface deformation when they place something that's kind of automatic. And they've talked about an overhead view, a whole bunch of yeah. other stuff on how they're gonna be able to place things. But let's take a quick look at the uh, the, the piece on Rastar, okay? okay. Hi,
14: I'm Morgan. I'm a tools programmer from the Planet Tech team, and now I'm going to talk about Rasta. What is Rasta? Rasta is our work-in-progress tool for planetary locations, creation, and addition. The name stands for a mix uh, of RTS, the game jaw, which takes the inspiration from its map editor system, and Star, as, well, you know. Its goals are to replace our previous placement system based on prefabs to a better object container oriented solution. As our previous system was based on prefabs, any changes to location was source of issue as it needs to re-enable whole set of data to have things like missions or shops to work again. With this new system, any change will be easily manageable and won't require us to redo work when a change is made. Plus, as now object container oriented, it can be used for outpost, case, or even derelicts, and more. It works as a modular system where locations will in fact be made of small elements that will be placed just like you do in City Builder RTS editor. In a matter of minutes, we now have a new location where we can now create a bunch of cool gameplay. Let's go to Mark, who will tell us about the connector system.
15: Thanks, Morgan. So, I'm Mark. I'm also a tools developer for the PlanTech team. Do you know what's better than placing everything by hand? Not placing everything by hand. In order to do that, we use what we call connectors. Basically, artists create small parts of homesteads that we can then snap together. Every part is modular, so we can uh, interchange multiple ones In order to have procedural homesteads. Every change is very simple. We can change, like, the whole inside of a homestead or only a building that is a part of the homestead. In that way, it's very easy to make a lot of different buildings. Once something is connected, it is considered a part of the whole. So it moves as one, it can be deleted and changed, and it's basically all for connectors. So, uh, back to you, Morgan. And last but not
14: least, some of you might have noticed that the UI is not looking quite like an engine UI. And that's normal, as it's based on our in-game UI tech building blocks, and that for a reason. Well, today it's being used by our developers. One day, when it's ready and been roughly tested internally, we'll make a version available to you, the player. And Rasta is what will make you a pioneer
4: Love it. All right, DK.
1: He dropped that hint at the very end. Uh,
4: yep.
1: <laughs> any yep. thoughts? Any
2: thoughts? I had everybody's ears perked when they did that, <laughs> that sitcom. I, we, we were all together just having a watch party. We heard that. We're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is where we were talking about the change that happened from my uh, from that sitcom of 2947 to now and what the evolution is because it seemed like they had the idea then and now we're seeing the results of what that that um concept is coming to and it it, kind of reminded me a little bit if you remember starcraft in the early days we would build um Build out your base before it got raided by the uh, uh, the AI, and it, you would lay down your spots and set out, you know, a, uh, a strategy of you know your entrances, your exits, things like that. But it, when you put down a piece, it would modify the land around it. Um, and I see the same thing here. My, int- my my question is how will that translate to the pioneer i'm interested to see how that's going to work so you know we go back to that blueprint idea uh i get a blueprint to a pioneer the pioneer takes that blueprint and puts it into a raster and then lays out the uh the homestead or settlement in raster and then is the pioneer just going to go and drop down and hover over each base and lay down a building or lay down a uh, some other construction unit that they're going to put down on the ground. Uh, like you said, was the baking, we don't actually see that. So I can see, say, the ship lands down and puts down a piece. We may not see it, but then it rises back up and the piece is there. I'm just interested to see how that works. But
8: mm-hmm.
2: we're definitely seeing how... What their thought process is behind this, as implementing the pioneer was probably a challenge on its own, mm-hmm. and this is a development of that uh, of that challenge that they're coming to figure out now, uh, as as we go further along and see right what they're doing right there in that video is adding in that center section. It looks like it's prefab, put it in, mm-hmm. and then design around it. Um, so yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm to your point. I'm curious. Um... They've talked about the fact that even if people don't own a Pioneer, that you'd be able to, again, purchase certain prefab things, have them brought in and, and mm-hmm. place them. And they were kind of showing us that that was what the Rastar tool would allow you to do. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And you could obviously see how it could be implemented in some form with the Pioneer as well. Right. Um, we've seen this, This I remember it was like about two years ago when they really showed us the tools of how they were able to place things in the game. And Mm -hmm. obviously it's been Mm -hmm. refined even more. I think they said even now, it's at the point now where even if you put two buildings next to each other, two items next to each other, all the connections, everything happens, right? So they've they've tied it in where the power cables, if you put a solar Mm -hmm. panel thing there, all the cables will run to it. All that great stuff will will be there. I mean, it puts a lot of possibility. And that's why I know there are a lot of people who are skeptical because it seems like, oh, this is just too, too much. Can this thing actually do all this? But they've told us that they have this tech and they have it together. It's just a matter of when it comes into our hands. They have said that initially, everything will be based upon NPCs in the beginning, right? The Mm -hmm. homesteads, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. But then eventually these things will be moving into our hands. Now, I'm gonna say this, Pioneer introduced four years ago, right? I Mm -hmm. don't think it's that far off. I don't think it's that far off. And what I mean by that, it may not be at its fullest capability, its fullest potential. But I think that obviously, if the ship is introduced into the game, it would make, no sense to put that ship in the game if it cannot do some of what they said it's supposed to do. So I think it's gonna be, it's not gonna just come and drop off some prefab. I think Mm -hmm. if it's in the game, it may be able to first do tier one or tier zero buildings in the beginning. Maybe it's just those modular pieces, but I think over time as tech goes and development goes, hopefully it will move to that place where it's not only doing homes, but it's doing the labs it's doing yeah. the trading posts it's starting to even do those technical support buildings and facilities that you need to make your homestead or make your yeah. your base or just make your simple farm right what mm-hmm. it needs to be so Yeah. And as we're getting to
2: expand, we're getting ready to go into new systems pretty soon. Um, And having that ability to set up bases in a system, say like Nix or or Pyro, where you only have, you know, you are able to just get a piece of land, you know, just go and sit down and say, this is mine. Mm that is, you know, we're going to need that, yes. and is going to be very limited as far as places to stay, um, and there's going to be lots of land uh, available out there, so people <laughs> are going to be trying to claim it, and uh, and they're going to be fighting over it, too. <laughs> but, uh, I, 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 I agree with you. I don't think it's that far off. I mean, how soon are they thinking they can get rastered together? I mean, yeah. that's really the killer part. I mean... I don't how far along it is with the ship, who knows,
0: Yeah, you know, yeah, who
2: knows, but yeah. the programming for Raster is there and they are definitely working on it. So it cannot be that far off.
1: Well, the thing is this too, right? I mean, as the universe expands, right, as the systems expand, that means there's more real estate, right? Yeah. And so obviously you're going to have in the beginning, a lot of people kind of centralized around the systems that we have in our hand right now, but mm-hmm. as time mm-hmm. goes on, um, uh, I think that there's always gonna be some beautiful place to live, you know? And and, and CIG is gonna obviously have to balance out some dynamics of what's around that people can access and get to. Uh, There are gonna be some people who wanna be remote, right? I mean, they literally wanna be remote because obviously the more remote you are and the less prime real estate you are, the less attractive your place is to somebody, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. I love the fact that they talked about uh, how the the scanning ships, the scanning capabilities with like the Aquila and some of the other exploration ships will help you determine what's that prime land before you bring that pioneer in, because Mm -hmm. those scans are not just gonna be, like right now we just got the surface rock scan, but they, Chris said deep scanning so that we know what's underneath the surface. So now Mm -hmm. when I do that land claim, boom, I drop it in. Now I'm calling up DK or I'm calling up whoever and saying, hey. I, I need to hire your thing to come in. You know, I'm curious to see how long it takes to build, too, because.
2: Yeah, that's a good you know, thing. That's a good question. It's building a, is a, is, a, is, a,
1: is a building over a period of hours? Is it a, is it a you know, I'm some depending on the size of what you're building, right? Mm-hmm. Because the Pioneer is, it isn't somewhat, even though it has very good defensive capabilities, it's also somewhat vulnerable when it's on the ground. So I would hope that it doesn't have to stay down for twelve hours. You know what I mean. Hopefully, if you right, right. get in and in thirty minutes or an hour, it can produce what it needs to do and get out. Plus, for gameplay sake, right? You don't want to have people sitting for eight hours trying to build your house, you know? Right. Um, but well, well you see. know,
2: there's going to be that guy that's coming up. Hey, I'll do it for you if you want it done quick. You got to pay me like 500 dollars.
1: Right. We can speed up the process and so forth. Speed up
2: the process.
1: Maybe so. Maybe so. Okay. Well, listen. We covered a whole lot of ground on a Tons. ship that is not in game. So, Tons. <laughs> We hope that um, we've had a very sweet,
2: <laughs> crafted. Yeah, we, we, yes,
1: and we had a very. Hey, lively but we had chat. really
2: good information. Though.
1: Yes, we had a very lively chat, and folks shared mm-hmm. a lot of good information. Uh, and I'm, I mean, I'm already excited about the possibilities of this ship. I'm trying yeah. not to buy one. I, there were only two ships left that I was interested in. It was this one and the Nautilus. Is
4: that oh, Wavex, thank, thank you, you so very much. For those we
1: appreciate that. Thank yes. you, thank you, thank you. And by the way, Citizen Kilroy and Django SC, thank you all for the follows. Again, thank if you. we didn't get to acknowledge you, we appreciate you all too. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, th- there were only two ships this and the Nautilus that I've been still hemming and hawing about, and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I can't figure it out. The pioneer is such a specialized thing, you know. It is very and,
2: much, I so really want to be in but it. But it's
1: so cool. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be my in my deal in the long run, DK. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to do it. So, anyway, let's talk about what we got coming up. Uh, why don't you fill in on Thursday, and I'll fill them in on Sunday.
2: All right. So Thursday night is Soul Talk. That is 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central. I don't have the UTC time in my head, but yeah. <laughs> I should figure that in game time. Jade, just talk about that, just in game time. Um, but that is Thursday, and that is our college show. And uh, we usually talk about ISC uh, if we have one. Otherwise, we might just talk about stuff related to star citizen um that is uh, a call in for all of you so if you if you come to our thursday show and you would like to chat with us and participate in the show uh you can join our discord and uh you can come in on thursday at any moment in time just ring on in and say hi and uh we will we'll be glad to have you mm-hmm. and uh so come on thursdays Again, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, and uh, 7 p.m. on the Pacific Coast for all of you Western coasters. Absolutely. Thanks. And yes, next Sunday, next Sunday
1: is going to be, as many of you know, uh, it is Halloween, October 31st. And we, as last year, we did a fundraiser for St. Jude Children's Hospital where we did a re- what was it like a re Was it a simulcast? It was, uh, oh, it was a reenactment, reenactment. Yeah, yeah, it was a reenactment <laughs> of the broad radio broadcast of War of the Worlds, H.G. Wells' War mm-hmm. of the Worlds. And we had a really great time with that. We raised $2,000 for St. Jude last year. This year, we are doing a Fright Night where members of the Soul Citizens team and guests and people will join us on stream to play co-op horror games. Some of those games will be, and we're gonna let you guys pick which games we play. We're gonna do Lunch Lady, Phasmophobia, Labyrinth, or Devour. And so during that time, we wanna raise money for Games for Love, which is a charity uh, for distraction therapy for kids. Uh, And it's a really good, really good uh, charitable uh, organization. And we hope you guys can not only join us, but that you will also support us for that. And and all monies are gonna go to them on next Sunday, so hopefully you can yeah. join us for our Fright Night. And uh, you know what, D- uh, DK, we've got some cool music that has been created oh. specifically for this show by the guys at New Soul, did. yes. And, so, and, yeah, New Soul. and ladies, right. guys and ladies, and ladies at New yeah, Soul. We got and a New three- Soul.
2: Trio there. Yes, so we
1: are <laughs> going to be pumped about having some cool music for that day. Yes. Uh, Arkin, thank you for that follow of t- t- you. tapping us off in a good way this week. Thank you for everybody who subbed. We're at 35. You guys did great. Uh, we didn't hit our goal this month, but that's okay. We okay. appreciate it because all the monies that we bring in, we know we just spin it right back out and do some giveaways. And we'll be going into November next month. So we've got IAE coming up and we definitely want to oh, do some yeah. cool giveaways during that time. And we're going to be looking forward to that. So I think that is it, DK. I think we are at the end of the night. We appreciate everybody for hanging out with us tonight. Uh, Look forward to seeing you guys either Thursday or Sunday. And as always, we're gonna go say peace, love, and soul. We're gonna be rating Dark Hour, 717.
4: So when you guys get
1: over with Dark Hour, give a shout, give a yell, let them know you came from Soul Citizens. And if you like what you see, follow. And again, till next week, peace, love, and soul. See you guys later. Have
2: a great week. See you soon.